This episode is brought to you by Wonderful Pistachios. You guys know that I mostly eat whole foods when it comes to my nutrition, and I'm always looking for good crag snacks to bring to the boulders or to the cliff, something with some substance to keep me fueled for hours and hours of climbing. Pistachios are known for their protein power, fiber, and better for you unsaturated fats for a combination that may help keep you feeling fuller longer than other snacks. And they're super convenient and so tasty. Their no-shell flavors include the classic roasted and salted, that's my favorite, super basic, I know. Salt and pepper, honey roasted, chili roasted, and smoky barbecue. They are all so good, you literally can't go wrong. Wonderful pistachios come in a variety of sizes, perfect for enjoying by yourself or with family or friends, or taking them with you on your climbing adventures. So whether you're hitting the gym after work or heading out on a weekend adventure, Fuel up with a healthy and tasty snack. Check out wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more about how these little green wonders can power up your day. Again, that's wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Rhino Skin Solutions, my go-to when it comes to taking care of my skin. Here's the deal. We're coming into spring and summer here in the Northern Hemisphere. It's starting to warm up. And if you're like me and you're trying to get outside and climb on rock, sweaty hands are once again a factor in your performance. Luckily for us, my pal Justin Brown, the founder of Rhino Skin Solutions, has a solution. Rhino's line of antiperspirant products are a game changer when it comes to climbing in warm or humid conditions, especially if you have sweaty skin like I do. Check out their performance cream, dry spray, and tip juice to keep your hands dry as you tackle your summer projects. And check out my episode with Justin way back in episode 22 of The Nugget to learn how to use these products and how to take great care of your your skin for whatever type of climbing you love to do. Head over to rhinoskinsolutions.com and enter code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off your next order of Rhino's antiperspirant products. Stock up on performance cream, dry spray, and tip juice, and keep your skin dry and happy in the summer heat. Once again, that's rhinoskinsolutions.com. Use code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off your next order. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Dimmitt, and my guest today is Jesse Firestone. Jesse is back on the show. He's been on many times before, originally in episode 127. That was a great one. We did the Fundamentals series earlier this year, and I really enjoyed that. Jesse is a good friend of mine. He's an incredible climber and now an incredible climbing coach. He always brings lots of insights and nuggets to our conversations, and I always really enjoy having him on. This was no exception. This was a great conversation. We covered three main topics with many other tangents and nuggets mixed in. We talked about his climbing and what's changed this year. He had an injury and has been approaching his climbing a little bit differently this summer and is shifting his priorities in general. That was interesting to hear. And then we talked about hip flexibility. Jesse's writing a book on hip flexibility. We talked about Adam Andra and his hips and why he's so amazing and what the rest of us can do to improve our hip flexibility. And then finally, we talked about visualization and some of the biggest benefits of visualization. And we got into the nuts and bolts of that a little bit. So lots of great stuff in this episode, something for everybody, I think. 
This was originally going to be a follow-up episode, and that brings me to some updates. There's lots of stuff going on over at Patreon, at patreon.com slash thenuggetclimbing. I've had a Patreon since the beginning of the podcast, but it has gone through many iterations, and we are relaunching Patreon in November. We've been making a ton of changes all for the better, I think things are gonna be a lot more streamlined and less confusing. And ultimately you guys are gonna get more great episodes and better content. So we're moving away from follow-ups. That's a big change and moving towards having bonus segments from regular episodes a lot more often. So stay tuned and be excited about that. And I'll talk about this more later in the episode, but there is a seven day free trial happening right now. So if you've thought about becoming a patron for a while, you're not sure if you can commit to $5 a month. I totally understand. There's a seven-day free trial. You can go over and check it out. It takes just a few minutes to sign up and you can cancel at any time. No questions asked. I just want you guys to enjoy this stuff that I'm making. And if you have the means, obviously I would love your support. But if you can't, that's fine. Go check it out at patreon.com slash thenuggetclimbing. Sign up for free and see what all the fuss is about, try it out. You can listen to the patron show on Spotify and Apple podcasts. And I'm guessing you're going to be pretty stoked and you're going to want to stick around. So I think that covers everything for now. We'll be talking a lot more about that in the next couple of weeks with a lot more great stuff coming soon. And in the meantime, please enjoy another nugget filled episode with Jesse Firestone. Should we sound check Ty? No, I think I think as long as Ty is being quiet, we should let let Ty do his do his thing. He pretty much sleeps twenty three hours a day. So, <laughs> what a life! I'm more. I would more expect a moose to be moose to be problematic if if either of them were. Do you ever look at your dog and just think about? How crazy we are trying to keep up with all the shit that we do. <laughs> another option is just to eat and sleep 23 hours a day and exist and be happy. I don't think I'd be very happy if I slept 23 hours a day, but I know exactly what you're talking about for mm. sure. Oh, I'm getting some interference from this phone. Okay, how do I do this? Airplane mode. There we go. Turn oh, I can, here, I can put mine in airplane mode too. Let's, let's do it. And then there's the notes. Oh, it's so nice podcasting with you. You're so organized. I just Man, got back is, this, from my, is this organization? I just got back from my trip. I'm exhausted. My brain's like, I'm trying to, I have a bunch of different balls I'm juggling in the air right now. And then Jesse's like, here's all the things that we should talk about. I'm like, <laughs> Perfect. I sent, I sent you a list of a bunch of stuff thinking you'd be like, oh yeah, yeah. Like these three things sound great. And you're just like, yep. I was like, that's not helpful. <laughs> well, we probably, <laughs> down at all. <laughs> we probably won't get to all of them. Yeah. There, there are like a dozen things on this list and they could all be, I'm sure a full no, yeah. A full conversation. Um, I'm just excited to catch up with you. I, I haven't really seen you since Waco. Yep, yep. Yeah, Waco. We, we've talked a little bit since then, but um, yeah, you had. We of course did all those fundamentals episodes and had a bunch of time to connect in Waco. And then you had this amazing Waco trip. You came back to Washington, and I kind of followed you on Instagram, and it seemed like you had a great season. And then I guess I just I either you know stopped paying attention or was distracted being on my trip or whatever. But I was surprised when you posted your recent kind of update sharing um, your experience of the spring season and then kind of feeling overtrained and taking a step back from from climbing. So 
Tell me about that. I just love to hear yeah. how your spring and summer went. Uh, okay. Um, <clears throat> it's a pretty big, it's a big, it's a big story, but I guess the, if I tried to condense it, it would be Waco was really good. My fall season before that was really good. I felt really strong at the end of last summer, but if you plotted those things on a graph, it would definitely be like a downward trending line, you know, cause I, I usually take the winter off to kind of like rebuild a little bit. But instead last year I went to Waco for two months, like right after my fall season, you know, with like no break in between. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of savage. And um, Waco's a pretty hard style for me. Yeah. So I came back from that trip like really tired. And then I kind of trained and I kind of got fit again. I had an okay spring and then I tore my um, TFCC. So that was like the first, uh, that was the first like real part of the downward spiral. What is that for people that don't know? Uh, TFCC triangular fibrocartilage complex. It's like a, it's a chunk of cartilage shaped like a triangle that stabilizes the ulnar aspect of the wrist. Okay. That, which is like the pinky the bottom, side. Like the pinky side of your wrist. Yeah. So underclings, meat hooks, uh, Gaston's out to the side, like all of those things where you need a lot of stability through the wrist. The TFCC is really important, super common injury. And because it's cartilage, it is like notoriously annoying to yeah, heal. Yeah, it takes forever. Yeah, and actually for me, I found out later like the um, my my muscle, my extensor muscle was actually like the worst part of the injury uh, and the TFCC tear was like relatively minor. Hmm. So the rehab path hasn't been quite as bad because some, some people it takes like two years before they can climb normally. Yeah, wow. Um, so anyways, that was, that, was that acute? Was that like trying something or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was doing a, a boulder here in Leavenworth where you like catch a meat hook and move your feet and then like flip to like a, a false grip meat hook. Um, and I, I didn't even notice anything while I was climbing. I just like did that. I was warming up basically. It was cold outside. Mm. Um, did a bunch of moves on the problem, did that move. And then I came off and I was just kind of like brushing the holds and I was like, whoa. Mm. that's weird. And then like five minutes later, it was like really pissed. I was like, whoa, okay. I'm like uh, fully injured, you know? One of, like one of those things where it's just totally out of the blue. You're like, oh, I feel I feel really good. Now my season's over, like uh, within five minutes, you know? Uh, yeah, I can smile about it now, but. Yeah. Um, so that that kind of sucked. And then I. When I did, was that? That was um, April, like mid-April. Okay. So I did what I always do, which is like redirect and climbs, I climbed slabs all spring and did like some pretty hard slabs around here. Nice. Um, kept climbing, like never stop basically climbing if I can avoid it. Uh, but I was definitely like kind of depressed. Um, I wasn't like as focused on my climbing and stuff. Uh, and then I went to Europe, which was actually really sick. We had had that trip planned for a while. Um, That's right, you went to Font. Yeah, like reverse uh, honeymoon thing where we like went to Font for a while and then we got married and came home. And Font was like amazing. I wasn't in very good shape because of the TFCC thing, but I could like climb with tape on and I wound up climbing like, I was like pretty happy with how I climbed. Um, there are like so many good moderate boulders in Font. Mm. Like a lot of places get thrown out for being like the best place in the world. But Font is like, if you're a beginner or like an intermediate climber, there's no way that there's anything better than Font. <laughs> I mean, it is just mm. there's like, you know, a boulder with like 10, things between v4 and v7 on it and like right next to that is another boulder with 10 things on it from v4 to v7 and like right next to that is another boulder with 20 things from v and you're just like holy and this just goes on for like miles and miles and miles wow. it's insane so if you're injured or if you're like you know an intermediate boulder like yeah that's an amazing place to be for sure um but the 
the downside of like partying in Europe for, for five weeks, I mean, I wasn't partying, but I was definitely like, you know, taking a bottle of wine to the crag and doing a blue circuit <laughs> every day nice. and like not eating, you know, any protein or anything is I got like really, really detrained. Mm. Um, so I came back from Europe and I like had a couple of sessions and felt pretty weak. And I was like, oh, I'm probably like tired from, you know, traveling and all this stuff I've been doing. Then I weighed myself and I was like, you know, 12 pounds lighter, you know, over like Whoa. a several day average, I was like 12 pounds lighter than I had been at the end of last summer. Whoa. And I like looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, yeah, that checks out. I'm like really, really small. Mm. So, um, yeah, you've mentioned to me in the past that you just, you struggle to keep muscle on. Yeah. Yeah. I have to I like have to keep training and I have to eat a lot of protein, um, in order to basically maintain any muscle and like the French diet, I think there's a reason that the stereotype is that they're like really skinny and smoke cigarettes all day. And like, yeah, there's not like a ton of protein in the diet, you mm. know, um, which yeah, with their diet, they probably like live longer, but maybe not super buff. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, that was like a wake up call when I came back from Europe, I was like, oh, if I want to, um, get back on the horse, I need to like really double down on my training. Mm. So I think that's the update that you, yeah. Well, I, and I, I thought it was really interesting because, you know, we did a whole fundamental series together because you're such a good coach and because you've been climbing for so long. We both have, we think a lot about our climbing and we've, uh, you know, learned a lot of the mistakes the hard way and hopefully can help others avoid them. And I was just like, and it, you know, when I saw your update, I just came back from being rocked by sickness and Rocklands and had, you know, tried my project too much and got in a hole. And that's probably why I got as sick as I did. And I'm like, yeah, we still make the same mistakes. Yep. Like, I wonder how many of those pitfalls I fell into. Yeah. I mean, I think that we that's, talked about that's like a sales pitch for coaching in a way, because I think if I had had a coach of the type that I think I am for my clients, that coach would have been like, you know, I would have been like, we did another blue circuit today and drank a bottle of wine, like before 4 PM again, he would have been like, Hey dude, maybe, <laughs> maybe back off like a little bit, you know, or if I, if I, you know, if we had chatted while you were in magic wood, I would have been like, Hey, maybe that last week in Switzerland, like just take it easy, mm. you know, just like go tour, tour around and look at some castles. Cause you're going straight to Africa mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it's not like it's going to be like really restful down there. Yeah. You know, it's going to be pretty full on down there, mm -hmm. but it's just when you're in your own world and, and you're just like caught up basically and being psyched. Yeah. It's easy to make those, those mistakes. They're mm -hmm. very, very simple mistakes. So, yeah. Yeah. And you can, you can like kind of be smart about things or think you're being smart about things and plan things. And then, yeah, I mean, I think one of the most important skills in having a lifelong journey as a climber where you're learning and growing is like being adaptable and going with the punches. Cause I was like, okay, I'm going to Africa, but I'll have, you know, five days in Cape town. So I'll have time to kind of chill. And then I got food poisoning. So I had even more time to chill. And then I was like, well, that was my deload, you know, like that was okay. And then I felt pretty good actually starting the trip, but it's just still so easy to make the same mistakes that you've made. Like basically in magic wood, I think I nailed the density and the difficulty, the like intensity of my climbing for it to be sustainable for six weeks with like a deload in the middle. Mm -hmm. And then I went to Africa and I just bumped everything up a notch. Right. All the intensity was higher, climbed a little bit more, tried harder things on my like, you know, quote, easy days. Mm -hmm. Didn't warm up as much, just jumped right on harder things. Yeah, there's not a lot of warm ups there. There's not. Yeah, that was yeah. challenging. Yeah. And then dug myself a hole, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Easy to do. Yeah. For sure. <clears throat> so, so what was your big takeaway and, and what did you do after coming home from Font and realizing you were detrained and? 
Like what's the next step after that? So yeah, I mean, I just spent the, I spent, I always spend the summer training I mean, I live in central Washington and it's like hot and usually smoky here during the summer. So I wasn't, I didn't have any big plans, which is the good news, I guess. Um, and I, I'm, you know, I, I like to think that I try to embrace stoic philosophy in a lot of cases. I always, you know, when things happen, I always kind of turn, try to turn it to my advantage in some way. You know, I'm always like, I don't, I don't know why, I don't know, you know, how this is a good thing yet, but I'm sure that there's a way that I can turn it into a good thing, you know, with like most of the stuff that happens in life, not everything but there's usually a silver lining, right? Mm -hmm. So like with the TFCC injury, I was like, oh, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go climb slabs, you know? And like, that wasn't a high point in my climbing by any stretch, but is a lot better than just like sitting on the couch feeling sorry for myself, you know, which for me at least feels like the alternative basically, you know, if I can't climb, mm -hmm. I'm not gonna go like run. <laughs> that's like the low that's like yeah. the low point for me if i start running like something's gone seriously wrong in my climbing no offense to anybody who runs it's just not for me mad, yeah. res mad respect to runners um so yeah i guess the the takeaway was i need to train i you know i need some form of hypertrophic training like muscle building training and um the higher intake like protein yeah and mm -hmm. i and i think the the big thing that i committed to which turned out to so far has turned out to be a really good decision is I just climbed a lot less. That's something like most summers I still keep grinding at the climbing. You know, I'm doing a lot of like board climbing and like, um, like low and slow on my board, trying to get like strong on the board. And, and this summer I've really just been like pushing it in the weight room. Mm. And, um, anybody who follows me on Instagram and knows anything about weightlifting could probably see me on there and be like, that guy's not a power lifter. Cause I, I'm not the most experienced. Like I can deadlift pretty good. Um, I have good deadlifting form, but like squat and bench, I'm like not, mm. you know, I've done a lot of kettlebell squats, but not a lot of like barbell squats. So I'm fairly amateurish, which is good because I've made a lot of gains doing that because I haven't been tired from climbing too much. Mm -hmm. So I think that's worked out so far. It's mid-September, so stay tuned, I guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I think that's, that's really interesting and something that it took me a while to learn. Like I remember starting to read Steve Bechtel and realizing like, oh, you know, climbers should lift weights and we are, we're athletes and all these other types of athletes do, even if you wouldn't assume they would, you know, like badminton players are lifting weights and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I think the first couple cycles, I learned a lot about like, okay, I got way stronger and now I have all these expectations about what that's going to mean don't freak out if it doesn't transfer right, right away. Like there has to be kind of this transition and that can happen, you know, on the rock as you kind of progress through your season or you can plan it in and have like a kind of sharpening season. But I feel, I feel lucky in that one trait I have as a climber is I'm extremely stubborn about just climbing and, and like not really stopping fully. So when I say that I haven't climbed very much, that is true. I've been climbing a lot less than I usually would, but I have still been, I've probably climbed outside once a week all summer. Mm. It's just that that's like most of my climbing, but it's not like I'm doing a weightlifting phase and then I'm gonna go outside in October and I'm gonna be like, whoa, what does granite feel like? You mm -hmm. know, I'm like, I still feel very acclimated. I'm still like moving every week. Mm -hmm. um, and I have noticed like some changes in in strength and stuff. Like we, were, like we were talking about like my one arm lock off uh, strength a few minutes ago. And I was like, yeah, I definitely feel different than I did before I did, you know, 10 weeks of benching. Yeah. Cool. Um, which is like a good amount. Um, and I've done this stuff before, but never quite this like determined, I guess. Mm. <laughs> um, and part of that also is like the, the feeling detrained. Um, 
I'm, I definitely want to climb harder and it's definitely like, you know, I, I felt some concern for my climbing performance, but also there's like an existential, like I was weak. I was like, you know, pick an appliance up off the top shelf and I would like feel like my shoulders were not feeling very strong. Mm. I'd be like, okay, this is like a 10 pound appliance. Like what's going on here? Mm -hmm. And I realized, you know, I just need more of that kind of basic training to remain a functional human and extend the life of my climbing career further on the back end. Um, which, you know, probably sounds really obvious, but again, it's the same, the same thing we were talking about before, like the easy, the big mistakes like that are the easy ones to make for sure. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's a learning, learning process. Hopefully I don't let it slide that far again. How, yeah. How are you going to think about like the macro schedule moving forward? So my, yeah, my big like philosophy shift for, um, this climbing season for this fall is I could encapsulate it as I'm going to try to send less. Mm. <laughs> Um, I don't do like a ton of volume, but I, I do get really sucked into, uh, you know, doing like high quality boulders that are like a couple grades below my max. Mm -hmm. Um, especially like, you know, on the edges when the weather's not perfect, I'll, I'll really like focus on those instead of like going for projects really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so this season I'm, I'm really going to try to do less of that. I, I just have, my pyramid is just so fat. Mm -hmm. I have such a fat pyramid. It's this is really interesting because you're kind of you've kind of flip flopped from the last time that I interviewed you, or like the I think your first regular episode, right? You were you were just like I just enjoy that more. I just want to send more stuff, and I don't want to use all my bluebird days on this one hard thing. Totally, I, yeah. I I still don't, but that's why I'm that's why I'm committing this season to doing a little bit more of that um, because. I, I could basically, you know, there's nothing wrong with going out and climbing like really high quality boulders in a grade that you know you can do in a day or in a couple of days, like over and over. I'm, I'm, I'm not against that. I just have things that I do want to do and I, I need to sacrifice something if I want to do mm. those things, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I, and I was trying to do that this spring when I hurt my TFCC, you know, mm. I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily trying to have it both ways, but it, um, it takes a, like a force of will or like a commitment early on, I think to kind of maintain that stubbornness through a season to be like, no, I'm not going to go do another fun V9. Like I'm going to go to my project and I'm going to fall like 50 times mm -hmm. and that's going to be my day, you know? And, and I, I spend, you know, most days when I'm talking to clients, I spend most of the time convincing them to do the opposite of that. Cause most people I think project a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm trying to convince people like, no, you should like really try to send something every time you go outside. Cause that's how you get good at sending being like your instinct and being your habit. Yeah. You know, which is important. Mm -hmm. I think. So I'm, 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 I'm trying to latch on to what my clients are are telling me, and and they can latch on to what I'm telling them. Maybe mm -hmm. if I'm, if does I'm the, does the new philosophy is that shift in part to like allow more of the strength maintenance stuff, or like, or is it just to, is it just because you realize like, oh, I have these hard things that I want to do, I should probably get around to them, like, because we were kind of talking about not letting things slide so far next time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it'll jibe with that. Cause usually when the season gets good, I climb four or five days a week, you know, not hard all those days, but I, I love going out and climbing. And I think I'm going to try to spend, I'm going to keep spending two days in the weight room, two days a week in the weight room all season is my goal. Um, not the same volume that I'm doing right now. It'll be like a, a much lower volume, but like all the same movements. I'm not going to like cut out. Mm. Usually you, usually I would cut out like all my accessory movements for the season. And, and actually you mentioned Steve Bechtel and like something I think I learned now looking back is like reading logical progression and metal and stuff where he's like, you know, I, I was looking for like, what's the least I can do to maintain my strength. 
can I do once a week? Can I do once every 10 days? Can I do once a month? And he was like maintaining pretty well at those really low dosages. But in retrospect, like I think Steve was just, is just way more trained than me and way mm. stronger than me. I don't think I can maintain going to the weight room once every two weeks. Mm. I was maybe like doing the same weight, but the RPE is like creeping up over the season. And okay. that's not the same thing as maintaining your strength. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Even, I'm, if, even if I'm like, well, I'm still deadlifting like 205 or whatever I was at the beginning of the season, you know, it's just like a little bit harder than it was at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. I, I want to do better than that. So two days in the weight room a week, and then, you know, I'll climb as much as I can outside of that without like digging into the hole. But I think that'll be a lot easier if I'm trying, you know, V12 or V13, because I just can't try those for very long. Before yeah. I'm like, well, I'm done. Like my skin gives out or, or, you know, I'm tired of like catching a hold in a way that's like not comfortable mm -hmm. or pleasant. Um, and one other, one other piece of inspiration I think is, I think I was hedging my bets a lot last year. Um, cause I hadn't quite found projects that I was like, that I felt really like I could do. Mm. And, and that's why I moved here was to have more stuff to, to try to latch onto like that. And now I found a couple of things where I'm like, okay, yeah, I think maybe if I, if I really dig in, I could do that. Nice. And that makes it a lot easier to be like, okay, I'm like, now I'll, I'll like push my chips in to the center of the table, you know? Yeah. Before I, you know, I have like a really, I don't play poker, but I was like, I have a really crappy hand, you know, I'm not going to like bet very much. Mm -hmm. I want to keep doing fun V9s all the time if mm -hmm. I can, you know, mm -hmm. now Makes I'm kind of like, no, I'll just try this thing. Mm -hmm. I have a good hand. So try to play it. I don't play poker. <laughs> <laughs> Do you climb on your board? Do you climb inside at all during the season? Uh, Does that serve any purpose? I'll usually warm up on it. Um, and then if the, if there's like a, you know, bad weather, a little phase of bad weather, then I'll climb on it out there for sure. Um, other than that, not generally, mm -hmm. because climbing outside at a high level usually is pretty high velocity and pretty high intensity. So I do feel like my climbing maintains pretty well. The one thing I'll probably lose through the season is like capacity, but my capacity is not terribly high right now anyway. Mm. And, and in my view, like if I'm trying to climb V12 or V13, I don't need super high capacity. I just need to be able to tolerate sessions on that a few times a week. Mm -hmm. You know, it'd be nice to, to be able to go do some other things, but I'm like, I'm willing to sacrifice those. So, yeah. So, you know, if I went, if I went straight off of this to Waco again, for instance, that would be a rude awakening because my capacity will probably be really, really low, mm. but you have to, something has to give. You can't train everything all at the same time, all the time forever. Right. Totally. Unfortunately. I know it's a tough, <laughs> tough pill to swallow. Yeah. Yeah. I still wrestle internally against that all the time. Yeah. You climb outside like all year. I mean, your capacity seems like it must be, you must maintain a pretty good high level. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think capacity, well, let's be specific. I think like being able to climb like reasonably hard or consistently over the course of a very long day has always come quite easy to me. Yeah. Work capacity. Work capacity. I, and I always have enjoyed climbing that way. So it's kind of what I always gravitate towards. Like the thing that I have to um, be really intentional about is if I'm trying to get stronger in a training cycle, I have to tell myself to like quality over quantity, you know, mm -hmm. like give really good high intense focused tries yep. and stop trying to send like all the set, all the boulders in the new set, you know, or whatever yep. it is. Totally. Um, so I think I maintain that pretty well. I mean, it totally depends though. Like it's pretty easy in Waco cause everything's physical and, um, there's yep. lots of good climbs at different grades and the density is really high. It was reasonably easy in Magic Wood. Rocklands, I feel like my capacity 
dropped way off because there's just not that many, you know, you, you go to like a really cool project and you just want to check it out and there's like not that much else around. So that's yep. your day. And, yeah, yeah. and I was kind of trying longer roofs. So I, it probably stayed higher than it would have if I was trying some of those like jumpy dino-y, you know, things all the time. But that makes sense. Um, but I think that is kind of like my, for whatever reason, kind of my like natural superpower. And I, yeah, I never know whether to like leverage that or lean into it more, or if I need to like do more of the opposite, you know, I think, I think I've learned that like leaning into it a little bit and, and building it up leads to really good periods where if I strip all that away and, and focus on the higher intensity and lower quantity, mm-hmm. um, I can really like reach new peaks. Yeah. Um, cause I, a big lesson for me was like having some success by training that way and then trying to replicate it without what came before it mm-hmm. the next time, you mm-hmm. know, I'm like, Oh, I forgot that I had a spring season at Smith where I was doing tons of sport climbing volume and like also doing some training midweek cause it's the fall and I can't get out after work. And like my climbing volume was really high. Then I went into that, like bouldering phase where I was climbing twice a week on my home wall or whatever it was. Right. But I didn't get the same results without doing all the stuff that kind of led into that. So, right. Yeah. It's never, it's, it's never as simple as we like want it to be, you know, yeah. even if we have an Excel spreadsheet with all our training in it we like look at the sheet, you know, and look at the results of that season. And we're like, A equals B, you know, if I just do A again, then I'll get B again, but it's never what got you here. Won't get you there. Is like, you know, that phrase covers a lot of it, but it's, it's also like, yeah, all the things that you weren't thinking about that got you to where you are. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, that's your, your trip to Rocklands and my trip to, to font are both fairly emblematic of that because, you know, we, we both climbed a ton of boulders and got to have life experience and all that stuff. But there was like something about it that was off and it didn't have anything to do with the training for the trip, mm-hmm. you know, actually, actually I was, I was curious to ask you this. Um, cause this is something I, I ask people a lot when they come back from a trip, what's one thing that you would definitely do again for your preparation for this trip. Mm. And I know that when I say this trip, you went to both Switzerland and Africa. So it's kind of <laughs> yeah unusual. And then what's one thing that you, that you like messed up and you would absolutely do differently? Mm. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. Yeah. It's hard to answer that. If I think about Rockland specifically, I almost wonder if anything I did in the spring before going to Magic Wood was relevant. Really mattered. You know, that's a six week gap. Um, six weeks isn't that much from a physiological standpoint. Yeah. And I was climbing the whole time. But yeah. I, I know what you, I know what you mean though. Yeah. Cause there's like the mental side of like what you're attuned to and stuff. And that's mm-hmm. very different, mm-hmm. but carry on. Yeah. What would I, what would I do again? I think I know what I would do differently. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of what I would do again, but I'll, I'll just answer in the reverse order. I just got sucked into trying to send in the spring. Okay. So, you know, I came off of Waco. Well, I got injured in in December and then, um, kind of rebuilt and then had three great weeks in Waco, but I think I was still like craving climbing, you know, which is great. Um, but I, you know, I, I climbed for a while in Moe's and, dabbled in some sport climbing in St. George and then had a training block where I'd intended to do a fair bit of volume on the moon board or just on the boards in general. And I had a lot of like kind of rehabby strength training to get my elbows, my, my um, bicep tendons, like more robust after the injury. Mm-hmm. And that all went really well. Um, or all the weight stuff went really well. And like the finger training went really well, I think. 
but I just didn't actually end up doing that much climbing volume because I would like do my finger training and then, oh, it's good weather in Moe's. I should go try a project. And <clears throat> I'm glad I did. I mean, it was really fun. And some of the boulders out there are good training boulders, but I think as the weather got worse, I just was a little stubborn and tried to like chase a couple more things that mm -hmm. I thought I might be able to squeak out before I left St. George. Mm -hmm. And I kind of wish I just like, you know, said I'm, a, I'm prepping for this huge trip. Moe's will be there. I'll be back. Um, unless all the holds fall off, which could happen. Um, so yeah, I wish I'd actually just focused on in, indoor climbing a little bit more and gotten a little bit more volume leading into the trip. And then what would I do this? What would I do again? I, I don't know. I, I really liked how my body felt, I guess, like getting into magic wood. And a lot of that was from like the, the weight training. I was doing some stuff I've done, you know, many times before, but um, working closely with Matt, um, I'm so Heiliger, Heiliger. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I should know how to pronounce his name by now. Matt H. <clears throat> yeah, um, yeah. He, he he was really helpful, and and like a lot of the just density lock off stuff and progressing that in a really systematic way is something that was really helpful. It just felt so good to go on a trip after that injury six months before and actually feel really robust. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I ended up kind of like having a flare up towards the end of Magic Wood, but that was from doing, you know, trying the same weird undercling move too many times. Gotcha. Um, but it could have been unrelated. Like, I don't think it was necessarily a flare up of the old injury. So I think we really nailed that. Um, I wish I'd done more focused work on smaller holds, I think, closer to the trip. Hmm, for, like magic, for Magic Wood? Just, yeah, for Magic Wood, yeah. Okay. I, I've noticed, like, I've been really obsessed with getting my you know, my 20 mil yeah. finger strength up over the years. Cause I think it was something that was really lagging behind yep. and it still like has room for improvement, but, um, it, it goes back to like the weightlifting conversation. It's like, it's good to get that base strength, but then you do need to kind of like sharpen it for outdoor rock climbing. And I just don't think 20 mil strength training transfers that directly to trying to crank on small holds on granite, you know, not to most, not to most climbing for yeah. sure. Yeah. So I think, I think, my next block or what, I don't know, maybe I'll do some 20 mil stuff and then focus more on smaller holds or maybe do more of a mix. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good answer. Yeah. I was just laughing because the, the idea of like feeling really good because you come off of uh, an injury and you're like, oh yeah, I'm like, I can climb normally is like such a, it's such a high tier feeling mm -hmm. in climbing. Yeah. And like the, you know, in a, with a long climbing career where I've gotten injured a whole bunch of times, those like that's like that feeling's like up there for me. Yeah, like when really we good. when we went to France, I, I really hadn't been climbing. I'd just been climbing slabs. Mm -hmm. So like the first seven A I climbed in Font, I was like, oh my god, yes! <laughs> like I can I can just climb normally on holds. Yeah, <laughs> totally. it felt like it felt like I was climbing like my first seven A. You know, totally. I, and it was my first seven A in in Font, mm -hmm. but it felt like it felt like a milestone, you know, because I hadn't like climbed anything overhanging and. Mm -hmm. like whatever six weeks yeah yeah those are that's such a prize feeling that's kind of funny i remember that makes me think of uh, i think it was summer 2017 after like my first bad finger injury um you know i did a bunch of trad climbing and that ended up being way more fun than i thought it would be and it was rewarding but um i was doing that and kind of rehabbing my finger and like doing a lot of kettlebell training for the first time and something about that combo I don't know what happened. I think the trad climbing was a big part of it because I was doing lots of on-site climbing mm -hmm. and just got a lot of like that slow on-site fitness. 
But um, as soon as my finger felt up to it, I started sport climbing again. And I had my best on-site sport climbing season ever. Like all of a sudden from, you know, I was climbing lots of 510 trad routes in the lower gorge at Smith. And then all of a sudden I was like on-siting 12 Bs and Cs like at Viento and um, TLC, like these Oregon crags. And, um, you know, climbed a 13B again and it just, it, I just felt like a superhero after all that time being frustrated and like wondering yeah. if my finger was ever going to feel normal again. And kind of like resets the bar when you get a really bad injury. Yeah. Like a minute ago before we started recording, I was talking about how every time you have like a really badass trip or like a really good season or whatever, you have this high watermark. Mm -hmm. And then if you're, you know, a hardcore athlete, you're like chasing that high, basically. You're just like, oh, am I ever going to be as good as I was in that one trip? And like, that's that's hard to mm -hmm. it's hard to escape that. But if you get really injured, that is like one silver lining of a bad injury is like you get to rebuild that whole thing. You get to have the satisfaction of being like, okay, like got to that milestone, got to that milestone, like repeated that problem mm -hmm. that was really hard for me when I did it a year ago. Okay, well, I'm like back at my, you know, grade that was like my max before. Like, mm -hmm. cool, let's go. Like, yeah. Let's, you know, we're back, we're back up, back on the train of like trying whatever the grade was that we were trying before. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. we're happier to be here than but we're we happier were. <laughs> to be here than before. For sure. Yeah, it doesn't feel as redundant as it did a year ago or whatever. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And there's something about just like being back there, but feeling like you have momentum. Yeah. It's like, cool. I can right. keep going a little further than I ever have before. It's or, like a very slight incline instead of just a flat mesa. Yeah, exactly. Where you're like, cool, I got to the top of this mesa <laughs> in like 2012. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I've yeah. been up there since. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought you were going to ask me what's something that um, I would do the same on my trip mm. and what would I change? And you might like this. Like one thing that's been kind of cool is like I, I basically got crushed in Rocklands like by sickness and um, didn't send my proj and like didn't really send much at all. But I would, I would try, I would focus on Black Shadow and try to do it the exact same. Like I, I would probably be a little bit more patient and I would have taken more rest days after the maybe second, third, fourth session because I think I did dig myself a hole. But I'm really glad that I kind of went all in on that one, mm -hmm. even though it meant like not trying as many things, not sending as many things. Like it's one of my favorite things I've ever tried. And it was, I learned a ton from it and I know I can do it. And that's, that gives me a lot of confidence, even though I walked away empty handed, you know? Yeah. Whatever. Like I didn't check the box. And, and you're like manifesting the phrase, trust the process right now. Like mm -hmm. if you feel like you did everything right and you didn't send, then that's, that's totally a possibility. Like that's a valid feeling. It happens all the time. Yeah. You know, and you want to like scratch and claw and like try to figure out what it was you could have done differently. And like, maybe there is something, but a lot of the time you just play your cards as best as you can in the moment and yeah. then you don't send. I'm just glad I tried. I'm, I'm glad I like didn't get hung up on, like I'm in this amazing area. I got to see how many things I can do. I got to mm -hmm. I got to try to be as productive with my climbing as possible. Cause that's my, that's my long time kind of MO and that's where I tend to get stuck. And um, it felt really good just to be like, no, I'm inspired by this boulder. And I'm not that inspired by some of the other things. And so, okay, I'm go gonna for it. go there again. Yeah. Yeah, that's smart. I, you're not alone. I, I had a really hard time getting inspired in, in Rocklands too. Mm. I would 100% go back there. And I, I think I I think I think will. I think I definitely will go back there someday. Um, but yeah, I had the same thought where I was like, wow, I'm like surrounded by all these sick boulders, but kind of not in like 
the range that I can do. Mm-hmm. Like, I just wish that I was a little better, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a tough feeling. Yeah. It's a tough feeling. And, and honestly, I go to, you know, when I go to like um, Squamish, which is probably my vote for the best bouldering in the world that I've been to, um, I don't feel that way. Even though there's still like V13s and 14s, like, well, not 14, there's V12s and 13s kind of everywhere. Um, I don't feel like I'm like out of my league or anything like that. Mm. I'm like, there's there's still plenty to do. Yeah, in Africa, yeah. you kind of walk like, you know, an hour and you're like, all right, well, there's... <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's like this one thing that looked really, really hard <clears throat> and nothing <throat> to warm up on and a lot of sand and baboons back to the car. <laughs> a lot of really beautiful rocks. For sure. And beautiful yeah. people, beautiful culture. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible country. I would, I basically want to go back there to just be with my friends in an incredible mm. country. Mm-hmm. It's like I had an amazing time. Yeah. But then, but then, yeah, I know it's, it's hard to describe. Like it's, it sounds like a total paradox because like on this trip, I saw some of the most inspiring boulders and tried some of the most inspiring boulders I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And they're truly all time, you know, 10 yeah, out of 10 amazing. stars. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's so many there's so many rocks there. Like there's kind of a lot of them, but mm-hmm. just, you know, my, we, we talked about this, like on the, I think the bouldering trip episode, I, I love to just show up at a place and not have that much of a plan. And like, I'm sure I'll just run into something inspiring and just run around like a kid in the candy store and like do lots of things. And I did that in magic wood and it was like so easy to do it there. And it just didn't work in Rocklands. And I was mm-hmm. like, Whoa, I kind of need to relearn how to be on a trip like you kind of have to go on missions there you gotta like, like yeah seek out something that a lot of people seem to like and then go check it out and that might be your whole day right yeah you have to commit a little bit more mm-hmm. yeah you see in the guidebook like oh this is an eight day rain and this is the eight day rain so you're like yeah we'll go to your thing and then we'll go to my thing but they're like 40 minutes apart <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i can't remember if i don't think i've told this story on the podcast but uh, my last day in, in Rocklands, my last two days, I had like really, I really nailed it. I got pretty lucky, but like I was there the longest out of everybody. Did you do Pinotage Sit on like one of your last I, days? Yeah, so I did Pinotage. I can't remember the order, but I did Pinotage Sit, Gliding Through the Waves, like Dolphins and um, Cedar Spine. Nice. Which were like the last three things on my list. It's like the only trip I've ever been on where I like did everything on my list. Nice. Like halfway through the trip, I was like, what do I think I can actually finish? And I made like a list of like 10 things or whatever. And I did them all. But everybody had left i was alone um everybody from my crew was gone and like kim had come to meet me she was gone and so i was just like hanging out at traveler's rest like by myself and i had like my my pad that i brought my big organic pad that i I brought and then like a metolius bifold that someone had left there and that was all i had so i i was like hanging out with these catalonian guys at traveler's rest and like buying them like uh amarula milkshakes or whatever trying to like get them to come to cedar spine the next day <laughs> like hey yeah it's really sick you guys like totally love it they like don't speak english and i don't really speak spanish we're like, just like pseudo communicating bonding over boozy milkshakes and then i got up and i went to the sassies by myself and i did pinotage sit in the morning by myself which was like an epic moment um oh yeah just being out there solo in africa and um it was so cool and then it's a I pretty like, tall boulder too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There was, I think there was one other pad like at the boulder, like a janky old pad. So I had like three mm. uh, pads, but it was definitely like a, you know, don't fall here in the middle of Africa situation. <laughs> um, and then I like hiked out and got in the car and I just kind of like zenned out for a bit. And then I drove and, and hiked all the way up to Cedar Spine, which if you don't know, is like in the middle of nowhere. It's, I don't know. Did you go to that boulder? No. 
it's it's probably like wanted to a didn't, 45 didn't minute hike mm-hmm. and it's just by itself mm-hmm. and it's also very tall mm-hmm. and then i just camped out there and like waited hoping that these catalonian guys were going to show up with crash pads mm-hmm. and i was i probably waited for like two hours or something and then they showed up and i fucking nice. did it sick. <laughs> it was so sick. sick yeah yeah i remember that part i think you have told me that before that's awesome man yeah it's such a great that's such a wonderful memory so i do have like pretty rose-colored glasses for africa mm. but i think yeah yeah i think another thing i i've been realizing maybe i've already said this i just recorded so many episodes about rocklands with all those folks so much fun um but it's a great place to get to have active rest days. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's exhausting. Like all the hiking's tiring. So don't, you, you know, probably shouldn't overdo it. But I had, I really wished that I had um, worked more in Switzerland. So I had more free rest days to mm-hmm. just hike around and look at stuff. Like I kind of used all that up in Switzerland. Gotcha. And, and like got to Rocklands and had like, no inventory you know i was like i'm out of episodes <laughs> fuck you know and i have a sign like i have like a, yeah, yeah. a food poisoning like i gotta make something happen here luckily in in africa you could just like kidnap a random person at traveler's rest and they're probably like they a climb pretty B13. badass climber <laughs> totally yeah hey yeah. you you want to be on a podcast <laughs> hey kid we're having a fire tomorrow come over that's kind of how it went um but yeah like that that would have probably made me feel different about the trip because it just it just takes a lot of um investment to to go check something out and you only have so many days so it would have been nice to kind of double that you know those opportunities to go get my eyeballs on things and Mm -hmm. but yeah it's always a good always a good choice to see more boulders Mm -hmm. for sure Mm -hmm. um yeah and we will be right back this episode is brought to you by rumple fall is here that means the temps are dropping and it's time to get cozy And nothing is cozier than bundling up with the Sherpa Puffy Blanket from Rumble. As if the original Puffy Blanket wasn't cozy enough, the Sherpa Puffy Blanket combines impossibly soft Sherpa fleece with their original Puffy Blanket design. As all of you know, I live in a van, and the Sherpa Puffy Blanket has been ideal for adding extra warmth during these crisp fall nights. It's getting cold, and I've been sleeping with this thing every night for the past couple weeks, and it's almost too cozy. I absolutely love it. The Sherpa Puffy Blanket has a stain and water-resistant topside, anti-static and antimicrobial fleece. It's made from 100% recycled materials, and it's machine washable. And it's truly the coziest blanket I've ever owned. It's perfect for staying warm at the boulders or at the crag during the fall season. It's great for camping and just great to have around the house. Watch a movie, cozy up with this Rumpel blanket. Head over to rumpel.com slash nugget and use code nugget at checkout to get 10% off your order. That's 10% off your first order when you go to rumpel.com slash nugget and use code nugget at checkout. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Let's talk about therapy. Have you tried therapy? It's fucking awesome. I go to therapy twice a month through BetterHelp and it's super, super helpful. I have a lot of supportive people in my life, but nothing beats sitting down and talking with a professional who is there for no other reason than to listen and to help. It's the best. I would literally pay twice as much for therapy. Therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding because sometimes we don't know what we want or why we react the way we do until we talk through things. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. 
If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge and without any awkwardness. It's super easy. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com nugget today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash nugget. And now back to the show. Why didn't you set any goals on paper for 2023? Ah, uh, yes. Um, so I, I've become in the last like year or so increasingly anti-tick list, mm. um, which is funny because I just told a story about the time that I ticked all of all of the boulders on my list. But in the context of that being the only time I've ever done that, and now that I've worked with like quite a few climbers, um, I've kind of realized like a lot of the time I think tick lists are just they're just overwhelming and like unproductive. So a lot of credence is given to like um, setting process goals instead of, you know, literal goals of like, I wanna do this boulder. And I think that's a really good direction to go. That's kind of where I was leaning the last like handful of years. I would be like, yeah, I wanna spend, like in spring, I was like, I'm gonna spend five sessions on the teacup and I'm gonna spend five sessions on uh, like other V13s. Uh, and I didn't quite, I don't think I quite got there. I think I spent five total maybe. Um, you know, but that's like, a, that's an example of a process goal. And that was like working pretty well for me, but I just have realized like the further I lean into letting serendipity drive my climbing a little bit more, kind of the better I do. Mm. And like we talked about already in the beginning of the podcast, like I'm, I'm really psyched to do a couple specific things this season. And I don't feel terribly compelled to like write down what those things are, because if, if my enthusiasm changes, if it like redirects to something else, and I'm more psyched on that thing. I don't want to feel like I let myself down or like did something wrong, you know? Mm -hmm. Cause usually I, I wind up doing something pretty badass and being like pretty satisfied with my climbing if I'm really motivated. So I guess just like following my motivation seems more important than doing what I wrote on paper. Mm. And just to, to give it like a real world example, if I was going to go back to like font or, or Rocklands or something, I would probably set some goals, but I have been climbing in Leavenworth for like almost 20 years. So I feel like pretty good about just kind of letting it letting it slide can is he gonna is he gonna is that gonna be in the on the microphone can you hear that it's <laughs> he just <laughs> makes that noise all the time my dog's like really really old so he oh, just, hi <laughs> just, you're like ethan pringle <laughs> loud exhales <laughs> loud exhales Aww. he just hi, he tie. just kind of snore you think he's snoring you're like oh that's cute he's snoring and then you turn over his, and eyes, his are eyes are open he's and he's staring right at you <laughs> just breathing deeply uh, he's kind of ancient that's that's my that's my goal for the season is oh, to spend more time boy. climbing with Ty. <laughs> hey, how buddy. how old is he? How old are you, Ty? He's I've had him uh, for twelve years, so he's uh he's thirteen ish because hmm. I I rescued him, so I don't know how old he is proper. Okay, yeah, so yeah, he he's definitely at the age where like I I'm careful about planning a trip to Africa next year because I don't know like I don't know mm. if I want to leave for five weeks. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Like leaving, going to France for five Hi. weeks was, was already stressful. Mm. So, yeah, it's actually, it's actually crazy. This is unrelated to anything we were talking about, but like, if I go back and watch all my like really proudest sends for my, basically my entire climbing career, he's there, he's in like 90% of them. Wow. You know what I mean? Often barking at me when I'm doing the crux move. <laughs> <laughs> 
It is Damn. wild though. No other, no other, no other being human or otherwise has been present for as many of my mm. heart sends as he has. It's like a good luck charm. You know? That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty wild. Your little buddy. Yeah. Um, what else should we hit here? I really want to hear about the stuff you've learned in your, in your first few years of coaching that jumped out at me from your list. Yeah. Okay. Um, because your, your coaching career has exploded and taken off. You still work as a software engineer, right? Yeah. I kind of, I'm kind of splitting my time between both and working too much, <laughs> which also drives really well with my current <clears throat> training strategy mm, uh-huh. of like training really hard and, and not as much. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like that's why I'm a boulderer now. Yeah. It just works better with the podcast. It's so much easier yeah, than, yeah. than sport climbing. Yeah. Projecting sport climbs, especially, is like insanely time consuming. Mm-hmm. Um, and thanks, by the way. Yeah. I'm, I've been really happy with, with the way coaching has gone. Yeah. Um, it's been awesome to see you kind of fun. like find your, your voice. And I remember we had conversations early on about Instagram and like what you wanted to use it for and just being really annoyed that you, you know, that you have to play the game. And you've been providing awesome info on there. And it's really, encouraging that people are latching onto it without you going out of your way to play the game because yeah. it means that like people Thanks. people recognize quality stuff so thank yeah. you yeah i think it's i think it, it was very reassuring to me when things started going well from like a business standpoint and i kind of realized you know all that all the game and all the audience and all that bullshit doesn't really matter what matters is that you're you're you're, you're saying something that people can relate to in a in a way that they can relate to it and you know they want more of that, or that, or that makes them think that you can help them with something. And you know, I don't, I don't want to sound like arrogant, but I feel like I do help people for the most part. So it works. Something in there, something in there works. And it doesn't matter if you have you know a thousand followers or like a hundred thousand followers or whatever. You know, people totally make a career off of just having a couple hundred thousand followers and like getting sponsored. But that's not my goal. My goal is to just help climbers and hopefully like eke out a living doing it and and mm-hmm. you seem to be able to do that like you know at, at whatever level of engagement or whatever yeah statistic you want to drive that from yeah so well, it, seems, it seems like you have a big um backlog of people that you don't have enough time for <laughs> i'm doing that, pretty that, good that now i've gotten a, i've gotten a lot more efficient um mm, cool yeah which is which has been really important um and you just you know y- you learn you learn more which i can get into the lessons uh, a little bit um when you when you start to learn more you recognize patterns a lot quicker and I'm like quicker to get to uh, whatever the the thing is that's like important for that person, mm. you know? Because like I, I write plans for people, training plans and stuff like that. But often it's something in between the lines that like really makes the the difference for people, you know? I'll write them a training plan that work with me for eight weeks or they work with me for like two eight week cycles or whatever. But then I'll talk to them later and they'll be like, actually, it was just that you like mentioned that I should use like this drying agent, you know, that I hadn't heard of before. <laughs> and like that really made the difference, mm. you know? Thanks for, you know, thanks for that. And, wow. and I'm, you know, mm-hmm. I don't think I write bad training plans or anything. Right? <laughs> no, I, t- I, totally, I totally get it. Yeah, you know what I, totally I mean though? It. I think the, I think the, um, the one-on-one communication and like actually talking yeah. to people is so important mm-hmm. for me. You know, I need to get to know the climber and kind of, because if you don't ask them questions and get to hear from them, mm-hmm. you're going to miss stuff like that. You're going to think that like, oh, oh, it's your max hang. You know, you need to work on your, on your 20 millimeter max hang, you mm-hmm. know, but like, there's just very, very few climbers for whom that is actually the limiting factor. Yeah. I think, mm-hmm. you know, I don't have any science to back that up. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm just thinking like I did, um, maybe, maybe I had like a six month period where I 
did some coaching um, a couple of years ago as I was building the podcast and <clears throat> maybe, yeah, I don't know how many climbers I worked with, six or eight or something. And I have one client who just absolutely got the most out of that coaching. And it was, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't a different program. It was just because of his engagement and his curiosity and the conversations that we had. And like, he recognized that like, I've been climbing outside a long time and he had a lot of things that he could learn from, you know, how I approach a climbing day. And it was things that I would never think to like lead with or to go out of my way to share with someone. Yeah. But of course, there's so many things that you just like pick up over time. And if, you know, he's in a situation where he has a family and like he spends most of his time in his garage training and just gets out, you know, here and there on the weekends and stuff. So he doesn't have the time to mm-hmm. pick up all those things. And yeah, it's like the intangibles that, that can make all the difference. I think a, a good coach knows when to be a window and when to be a mirror. <laughs> like most people know what they need to do or know what they need to work on. You just have to like help them find the words, mm. right? Or help them figure out the details of what that thing is, right? And that's 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 tough to do. It's tough to get good at, but just talking to people helps. <laughs> you learn, you yeah. learn for sure. Um, so I wrote down a few things if you want me to hit my bullet points. Um, Let's do it. Obviously, this is kind of vulnerable for me because I'm, you know, I'm on a podcast talking about stuff that I feel like I didn't know. So that's my my spoiler. Um, obviously, I learned a ton about strength and conditioning um, and how people adapt to things. And I've been working with uh, Tyler Nelson, which has been super helpful too, because I can like bounce ideas off of him. So do you want to just explain that a little bit, like what you guys have going on? Um, yeah. So Tyler runs Camp for Human Performance. Um, and then he has a few coaches who work with him like under that umbrella. So some of my coaching, uh, like certain programs I run through myself, like my one-on-one roster is through me. And then I also do like assessments for people. Uh, and that's, that's all like JFire. That's all like my business. Um, so basically like you can come to me and like, and do an assessment where you talk about your climbing and then we'll talk one-on-one and I'll like help you understand what to work on. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I also have my one-on-one roster, which is like, I do the same thing, but then I also give you like training plan of stuff to work on. And then through Tyler, I do like eight week plans where you can like, um, basically do the one-on-one thing, but for an eight week block. So it's like more limited. It's not like an ongoing thing. Um, and I, I do a couple other things with Tyler and, and now we're going to start doing like content creation and YouTube and stuff like that. So camp four is like kind of growing in that direction. Um, nice. but the biggest thing for me as a coach has just been having access to somebody who has that depth of knowledge about strength and conditioning because as i you know I, i've i've studied it and gotten a lot better at it in the last handful of years but you know just you know being like this person has this you know i can in three sentences i can be like this person has this project you know they're they feel like they're weak in this plane i was thinking about prescribing them x and tyler would just be like that's good or like do this instead you know it's mm-hmm. like very very helpful mm-hmm. right to have like an expert help you with that kind of stuff um because my niche is like more like movement and tactics and training um not training, movement and tactics and like technique and stuff like that. So yeah, that's helping me grow a lot. Um, other lessons, uh, something that, something that's been like really so interesting. Sorry, what, what was the lesson there? What was the takeaway? Oh, that was just my like intro. Great. <laughs> yeah, the the, the just that just that I've, just I've that him. that was like not an area of expertise for me coming into mm-hmm. it, and I feel like it's growing to be something nice. that I'm a lot better okay. at. Gotcha. Um, older people, I I seem to have a like my my core demographic is like late twenties to through 40 or so, Mm. I think, I think something about the way that I present myself speaks to those people. Um, and climbers with a a high training age can just tolerate a lot more training. Like I'm, you know, 
it, it just sounds really trite and maybe even offensive, but like a lot of, uh, there's a lot of climbers out there, <clears throat> excuse me, who are like a little bit older uh, and you would think of them as being like weak or like frail or something like that. But if somebody's like 38 and they've been climbing for a long time, they're usually fucking badass. Mm. And that is really cool. Like it's, it's, it's not like I didn't know that, but seeing the training that they're capable of has like really proven it to me in like a super concrete way. Mm. And I, I constantly work with people who like don't necessarily climb the same grades that I do, but I see how they do in their training and like how committed they are to their training and how much they can tolerate. And I'm like, whoa, I wanna be like that guy, <laughs> you know, when I grow up, which is like in two years or something, <laughs> not that long. <laughs> um, but that was cool. That, was, that kind of made me do a double take like, whoa, like all these like 40 year olds are fucking awesome. Hmm. Do they, yeah. I mean, you always hear like people get older and they're like, I can still do, I'm still just as strong or I'm even stronger or I can train just as much or even harder, but I just need more rest. Like are the... It's not, it's not heavily normalized, I don't think. Mm. It seems to be very individualized. Okay. I, I do think people who are in their, I would say like, you know, 35 and up generally seem to have a higher awareness of what they can tolerate. So like if I work with somebody in their 20 and I'm like, how often do you climb? How often do you lift weights? You know, like trying to get a sense of their work capacity. Like they don't usually have a very good answer. <laughs> but if somebody's like 37, they usually have a pretty solid, they're like, you know, I do this much, this many sets and reps. I, I climb for about this long, this many times a week, like after the kid goes to bed or whatever. Mm -hmm. They have like a concrete answer to that question, mm -hmm. which makes it so much easier to write training for them. Gotcha. Um, mm -hmm. So it's like very helpful. And, and that probably leads to me thinking that they have their shit together because it seems like they do. Um, next thing, uh, simplicity is like the, that's the ideal that you want to try to get to. You want to write somebody like a really, really simple plan. Like that's the goal. That's the ideal. Cause like the, you know, you only, you only want to do complex training if you have to. So like for a super high level athlete, you know, like Ethan or somebody, you're going to need like a fairly high degree of complexity in order to get that athlete to adapt. They're just going to need to do a lot of different things mm -hmm. and their demands are higher. Like we were talking about, it's like hard to train everything at once, right? For somebody like Ethan, you probably would need to try to train everything at once because he already has a high degree of all those things. You can't mm. like let something slide. Yeah, You can't like let his capacity drop right before he goes to like, you know, Brazil or whatever. Um, so sim simple is like where you want to get to, but people need details in order to get things to make sense. And I think one of the, one of the hardest parts of coaching, especially for climbing is understanding how much detail to give. Mm. Cause you can like, you can go so far down the rabbit hole, you know, it's like how many sets? Okay. How many reps? Okay. Yeah. What load? And are you going to use like percentage or are you going to use RPE? Well, now you have to explain what RPE is. You have to explain how to do a back off with RPE and like how auto-regulation auto works. And like, you know, what if they feel this way? What if they feel that way? You know, or like, what if you want to do like velocity-based training, then you have to give them like a range of sets and reps and explain to them how that works. And like, how are they going to notice if their power drops? You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it gets a lot harder to just be like, do three by five or do like six sets of three, you know, without providing all this detail. Mm -hmm. Um, and like we were talking about earlier, again, before we were recording, like it's very hard to know how much context to give someone. Yeah. And I definitely know now that working with somebody for longer, you just become a better coach for that person. You become a better coach for other people too, a little bit, but like the people that I've been coaching for two years, I know exactly what to put in their plan. Mm -hmm. I know the level of detail they need and I can cut so much bullshit out. Cause I'm just like, this guy, he doesn't need that. He doesn't need that. He doesn't need to do this. He doesn't need to think about this. I just say like, do these five things, focus really hard on like whatever this thing is in this you know session and you're good to go. 
and they get a lot more out of that when their plans they were doing two years ago were like so much more text, mm -hmm. you know, so much mm -hmm. more stuff. And like, and they were like trying to absorb it all, you know? Yeah. But it, take, it just takes a while. It's all like fuzzy and crazy. And then it just like levels out and you're like even and you're like, whoa, we're like, it's like working we're gelling you know mm -hmm. really really cool relationship that's cool yeah you can, i'm excited about it if you can't tell <laughs> <laughs> well i just remember it blows my fucking mind that people have been working with me for two years it's so cool that's awesome that's yeah. super awesome yeah yeah it just i i remember like you know when i started weight training i don't know when that was maybe it was like a decade ago or something probably probably more recent than that but all of those questions you know mm -hmm. um how much how much weight how do i progress each session like if it's five three two like is the five am i just as close to failure on the five as the three and the two you know like as i progress the weight i had so many questions and then i remember feeling like i really had um a handle on things and i kind of was exploring um strength training a little bit deeper considering um getting like certified in kettlebell stuff or whatever and I came across like tempo, how they write out like how long you hold and then go up and then how many seconds you come down. And I'd never seen that. What, what do you call that? Like the way that people write out. Notation? Um, yeah, that notation before. And it just was like, I just remember being like, this is a whole new world. Yeah. How have I never come across this before? Because obviously it's so important. Like how quickly do you do a rep? You know, that's a whole other yeah. thing. So. Yeah. yeah, there's so many ways to program, like in in some of the training software where you can like program people's weightlifting training. I've seen like, you know, you say the exercise and then there's a drop down of like how you're going to tell the athlete what to do. So it's like it, you can pick like sets or reps or time or load or RPE or like, and the, the drop down has like 50 things in it. There's, there's just so many ways to program these things, you know, mm. and you can't expect an, one athlete to like know all of those different things. You're going to have to give them some of that information, mm. you know. That's, that's part of the process. So, yeah. Um, my, my last uh, bullet point, and probably the one that I'm the most excited about, is uh, coaching has just made me a vastly more compassionate person. Mm. Um, I, I would say that that was like a weak point for me before. It's definitely, you know, especially as a coach, it's something that I, I knew I needed to get better at and is a natural part of the process to get better at it. But like when you work with people from all over the place in all kinds of different, situations and environments, you really learn like how much um, adversity people deal with in order to try to get better at climbing. And some people are just busting their ass, pushing that rock uphill all the time. And I'm like so inspired by those people, like people who have families or people who commute really far just to go to a gym and they're like really psyched to climb outside, but they don't live anywhere near rock climbing and they're still trying really hard to get better. Like that is the most impressive thing that I can imagine, mm -hmm. uh, especially people who have families, especially mothers. Like I train a couple mothers and I'm just like, every time I talk to them, I'm like, Gaga, I'm like, you're such a badass. I just, I can't, I can't help myself, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. They, and they like to hear it, thankfully, you know, mm -hmm. um, they like to be flattered, I think. <laughs> I think that helps. So, <laughs> but, uh, even just, even just climbing in, in a really crowded gym, if yeah. you have a nine to five is mm -hmm. like insanely hard. Yeah. Like, maybe six months ago, I started um, going to, no, uh, so six, when was this? I guess it was in spring. It was before I got injured, like winter and spring. I was going to the gym here in Wenatchee and I would like force myself to wait through the afternoon because usually I would work all morning and then I would go in the early afternoon before the crowds. And I was like forcing myself to go at like 
four or five o'clock so that it was like busy. Why? I was like, because I, I was like, I need to taste this mm. and know, because I've forgotten because I have a board mm -hmm. at my house mm -hmm. and I can, I'm flexible. I can work when I want. Mm -hmm. And I had gotten totally like privileged and lazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I need to like go in when it's really busy and hot and greasy. <laughs> And, and like be reminded what this is like. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And that was really smart because I, mm. I did that for a handful of weeks. I did that a handful of times and I totally changed the way that I was interacting with some of my clients. And I, and I haven't gone back to the way that I was interacting with them for sure. Mm. Like I, I leave a lot more breathing room in the way that I assign things. And I, I definitely don't give people, if I know they're climbing in a facility like that, I don't give them sessions that I think are gonna be stressful to do in mm. that environment. Because if you're if you're writing them a program that's really hard for them to follow in the environment that they're in, you're totally letting them down. Yeah, yeah. So, can you be just as effective? You think? Like, are you compromising like the quality of the training? Maybe it doesn't matter. You're, yeah, you're, I mean, the, you're doing the best. I think you, you have, have to. I think you have to <clears throat> see that the 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 potential limit of the training is limited by the environment, and you just have to do your best in that environment. Mm -hmm. But. Yeah, the, your your ceiling is going to be a lot lower if you write them training that they can't follow than if you write them training that they can follow. Mm -hmm. You know, hopefully, yeah. Because you don't want an athlete to be like not quite sticking to the plan and also feeling bad about not quite sticking to the plan. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You want you want them to feel like they're nailing it because that's a really important part of climbing performance is mm -hmm. feeling confident. So nice. Do you want to recap those? Summarize those? Uh, yeah. I mean. I learned a lot. <laughs> learned a lot. Yeah. Uh, I th I, there's there's a lot more things, but the the ones that that came to mind when I kind of brainstormed this were just how badass and inspiring the older climbers I work with are, and how difficult it is to get to simplicity. Um, like how knowing how much context to give is something I've really gotten a lot better at, <clears throat> and then just having become a lot more compassionate as a person, I think, and especially as a coach, and and realizing that I really want to go further down that path to I think I just would benefit more from being a more compassionate person mm. which is like kind of an inward journey it's hard that's a hard one yeah that's usually a... I'm like I want to climb this v10 it's like way more easy to quantify <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to be more compassionate that's that's amazing yeah yeah um that's a great goal to have why is the intent of training more important than the content of training Ooh, that's such a leading question. I love that you're just like pulling. Straight I'm just fully straight reading from, straight from my notes. Yeah. It kind of goes back to that um, between the lines thing that I was talking about with, with writing training for people, how I would like notice that people would tell me something that we talked about or something that I, something I wrote, you know, in a random session in the plan that that made a really big difference for them. Um, I think the intent being more important than the content could probably be summarized by well, think about how many really good climbers you've had on this podcast where they've done like a whole host of really badass things. They've climbed V15 or 515 or like 514 trad. Some of them have done multiple of those things. And you ask them like what their training is and they're like, no, I just climb on a spray wall. Like the best way that I can think of to explain that is that they're really elite athletes who are very focused on what they're doing within the session and not what the session is, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like what they're paying attention to in yeah. the session. Like we had a board session before we recorded. We were like climbing on my board out there. And like in that session, I, I like warmed up and I like got powered up and everything. And then I spent the meat of the session just trying the exact moves that I know that I'm gonna wanna try to do on a project this fall. Mm -hmm. The content of my session was I was climbing on a board. 
the intent of my session was I was practicing a specific couple mm. positions and movements that I know I'm going to need later this year. And that I didn't write that session down. It's not part of my training plan. It's just a deep intent that I have right now. Mm. It's something I am intending to do while I'm training is to work on that thing. Mm -hmm. Is that, is that, does that kind of make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I, I think I think that carries through session to session, but it's definitely the most important in the climbing sessions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with some athletes, I will give them very specific instructions for each session, especially an athlete I haven't worked with before, because I'm kind of like shotgun approach. I'm kind of like what is going to stick here in these first few weeks, and then we'll kind of like pick something to like you know like zoom in on. But like I was saying with my athletes, I've been working on stuff for a long time with. I'm a lot more like this thing. This is the thing you need. You know what I mean? Like you need to learn how to dig with your feet or you like need to learn how to externally rotate on a heel hook or like whatever the thing is that we're, and, and doesn't matter what the session is, like they're gonna get some of that thing in there. That's that's intent. That's basically what drives adaptation, I think the most probably with climbing performance. Yeah. That's a great question, Steven. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm a professional question asker. For sure. <laughs> just read his question off of his notes. Um, what else feels inspiring to talk about right now? Like what from this list is, are you feeling pulled towards anything in particular? I kind of um, have yeah. already, we've already hit on the ones that I think really leapt out at me there, but all of these are interesting to me. I feel like the things that probably will benefit people the most that I would guess would be either hip flexibility or visualization. I mean, those are two mm. things that I'm, I'm def I definitely think I'm good at in my own climbing and things that I think I've made a lot of gains with clients on and pretty important things for climbing performance, I think. Sweet. Do you want to try to touch on both of them? Let's try. Yeah. I think hip flexibility is really important. Let's start climbing. there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they're both really important. That one's just first in my notes. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, what did you say? You said why hip flexibility is the corner the cornerstone of climbing performance. Yeah. So so basically and you're these, writing a book. These yeah, yeah. I'm I'm writing I'm writing a book. I'm trying to write a book. Um on hip flexibility for climbing. Yeah, I think it's gonna be called hip flexibility for climbing. <laughs> that's, uh, a, that's amazing, the, man. The context for these notes, by the way, if you guys were wondering why this is so robotic, is Stephen and I were talking about doing a follow-up. And this weekend I just was I'm moving right now, so I'm just doing all this random shit. And every time I thought of any like thought about climbing popped into my head. I would just add it to the list. So that's why he's he's asking these. Uh, and then he sent the list like, to me and then I didn't have to do any prep. Yeah. And this is the kind of thing, this is like what I would Ideal. turn into Instagram content, except for in this case, I I don't have to flesh any of it out. You know, when I send it to Steven, I was just like, hip flexibility is the cornerstone of climbing performance. No further, no further questions, no further, no follow-up. You know what I mean? <laughs> so the notes feel very abridged, but, um, but yeah, you, you, uh, you don't need to look any further than uh, the best climber in the world to know how important it is to be able to use your hips super well. I mean, people talk about a lot of different aspects of, of uh, Adamandra's performance. Adamandra, by the way, my boat. <laughs> um, Mine too. His hip flexibility is fucking astonishing. And, and the classical definition of flexibility, you know, in terms of like where he can, where he can move his legs and like how much you can include mobility, like how much angle he can get on the joint and everything for sure. But it's his ability to control his hips while he's climbing and to like get the most out of every single foothold on the wall is that's like my internal definition of hip flexibility for climbing. I'm not a flexibility expert. I, I haven't, you know, I don't have like a exercise science degree, although I feel like I'm working my way towards one trying to write this book. I'm probably going to have one in spirit by the time I finish the book. 
Um, I kind of lost my train of thought there. So, so I should I just jump to my notes about it? <clears throat> well, Adam Andra. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he just has astonishingly good hip flexibility. Mm. I think I was saying something else about it. But what, what do you what do you notice when you watch him climb that makes you think that? Oh, he he leaves no he leaves nothing unused. Like he he can use any foothold in any position and get a lot of weight onto his feet on any angle of wall and keep his hips in close yeah. when he needs to. And, and when you when you watch other people climb the same stuff as him, you know, I like I watch the World Cups and the World Championships and stuff, and he can just do things that like nobody else seems to be able to do. Um, with his, he actually has really spectacular shoulder flexibility as well. Mm. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll kind of go into the middle of my notes here because there is a genetic component to flexibility. And I think, um, a lot of people aren't totally clear on like how much that plays a role. So with somebody like Adam, it's pretty apparent to me that he, he's like genetically gifted. So I think, I think genetically there's like 28 different types of collagen that you can have. And like, depending on what you're which genes you have, you know, expressed in which way you wind up with different levels of um, flexibility in your muscles, essentially, right? Mm. Like they can, they can stretch to different degrees, depending on that. That's like one of the primary factors that informs how flexible you are. So somebody like Adam, clearly it's the combination of like, he has those genetic factors and he also has been training for a really long time and his, and his climbing style has really informed him on how to like get into those positions and, and make the most of them. And you kind of need all those things to get to the level that he's at. I think I probably also have like a strong genetic predisposition because I, I take on flexibility really quickly. Um, and I also have the, the climbing style piece. Like I've mm. always been trying to use my legs a lot because I just have never had super strong arms or fingers. So like I've just always been trying to use my leg as a hand basically. And then that's naturally like turned into my style and also like made me extremely flexible. Mm. So... A lot of people probably won't have necessarily the genetic piece, but there's like nothing preventing people from having the the style piece and like adapting the way they climb to like make the absolute most out of what they have. And I guess a teaser for a teaser for the book is like I spend a lot of the book talking about attitude and philosophy because when I work with people on their flexibility, the turning point is not like my box split went from so many centimeters to so many centimeters. The turning point is where they stop negatively talking about their flexibility out loud. Mm. The turning point is where they're like, I don't think of myself as inflexible anymore. And it doesn't matter what your physical characteristics are for that point. Because when you can like get through that barrier of thinking of yourself a certain way, you start using what you have a lot better. Mm. That's what I've noticed with, with people. Like if you can start get to get somebody to believe that they're flexible, they start to use their their body in a way that helps them adapt and get even better. And they get this like positive feedback loop. Got it. Right. And and truthfully, like if you watch YouTube, if you watch like Lattice YouTube or whatever, you're going to see so many videos of like, do you want a high step more? Like do these five exercises off the wall? And that's great. That stuff really does help. And I do a lot of that stuff with my clients, but nothing will help a rock climber get better hip flexibility than rock climbing. Like it does a lot of the things that you need in order to get more flexible. You're, you're getting into the end range, you're loading the end range in a specific way. With certain movements, you even have something very similar to an isometric stretch, which is like a specific type of exercise you can do to become more flexible, where you're like flexing against the muscle that you're trying to stretch and like sort of stretching it deliberately. 
Like if you're in a corner and you're like pressing outwards and you're, and you try to sink down into your feet to get more weight on your feet, that's an isometric stretch. That's what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So if you want to get better box splits and you like climbing corners, like at the lower gorge and Smith, yeah, dude, go, go climb those things. Like you've done seasons in the, in the lower and upper gorge, you know, you get more flexible climbing down there mm. for sure. And if you went down there with the attitude of like, you know, uh, my hips are, are dog shit, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just not going to be able to do these routes. Like, yeah, you're going to really struggle and have a really hard time and you're not going to get the adaptation from it. But if you go down there with an open mind and you're like, yeah, I'm working on it. Like I'm somebody who works on their hip flexibility. That's mm -hmm. the kind of person that I am. You're going to come out of that season probably having made a lot of improvement. Mm -hmm. um, I think I hit most of my bullet points in that rant. I remember meeting um, this guy, Ker do you know Kerwin? I think he might still live in Leavenworth. I haven't met him, but I've heard heard the name yet. Okay, I met him at um, the climbing gym here in Wenatchee years ago. I think maybe right before I launched the podcast. It might've been right around Thanksgiving that year. And I think I've told this on the podcast before, but he's a you know big muscular guy, kind of similar build to me. And I just remember being like, wow, he's like doing the splits on the wall. Like, this is really impressive. I was like, how do you get so flexible? Like, that's really rare that you see a muscular guy like you. And I think he was, I, I could be totally misremembering, but I think he's, you know, dating or married to like a yoga instructor or had some connection there or does a lot of yoga. But I remember the thing that really stood out was um, he climbed at a gym, I think in Seattle that had like a flared open book corner, hmm. um, like a really low angle corner almost like, well, yeah, you, you guys get the idea. And the root setters let him put a ton of foot chips on both sides mm. and he would just go stem there and just like move between the footholds for like, there you go for like ever and just hang out there and just do that every time he went to the gym. And, um, and then, yeah, he's like able to basically do the splits on the, yeah. on the overhanging bouldering wall. It's just like, holy shit. Okay. This is this is maybe unrelated, but maybe it's not. Unrelated. I think he was practicing for um, Freerider. Oh, I think okay. that was the motivation. Yeah, yeah that makes any, sense. Any, like Teflon Corner or something. Right. Yeah, it's kind of a stem, the crux, right? Yeah. Um, or one of the cruxes. Um, when I used to, when I was like first getting into training, I used to, you know, I read the Mark Anderson, Mark and Mike Anderson book, and I was like, oh, I'll do some like arc. That sounds cool. And I would just go in circles around this boulder at the gym that I climbed at, and. You know, I, I guess maybe I didn't read the the book as well as I should have because uh, I would like rest when I got tired, which you're not really supposed to do when you're arcing necessarily. And if I if I got pumped, I would just like go to the lip of the boulder and I would put one of my heels like up on the lip of the boulder and then I would like dangle there from one arm at a time and like try to get as much weight onto my heel as I could. And I would mm. just do that like over and over and over. And I was probably like getting really good at heel hooks mm. in retrospect. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that, make, that makes sense. And then like at a certain point, yeah, it just became, I just always do heel hooks anytime I can. The rule is if the hold is bigger than a potato, you always try to heel hook. <laughs> <laughs> a fingerling potato. A fingerling, okay. No, no, just kidding. Um, yeah. Yeah, if you can if you can own positions, it just makes everything easier. You, less less weight through the fingers, less leverage at the shoulder. And yeah. Kind of so what do you easier. say to your clients who really struggle with their hip mobility? I mean, obviously you get them going with some exercises, but when you say like climbing is the most important thing you can do, you know, what do they actually go do from there? Yeah, we usually, if somebody's if somebody's really trying to work on their hips, if that's like one of the goals of their training, which it probably is for like 50% of my clients or something like that. In, in my view, if you're not well above average for the, for the fit population in hip flexibility as a climber, then it should be something that you're probably working on all the time. Because to me, it is absolutely essential. It just makes, 
it's like it's like finger strength you can't have too much of it it's mm. like it is it's just a deep deep well that you can keep going back to and the more flexible you get the better it gets so most people i think should work on it i don't want to like add more imperatives to people who already feel like they have too many things to train but <laughs> um so we almost always do on the wall sessions we do we do off the wall sessions that usually include some kind of loaded training which will be either uh, PNF or isometric stretch, or it'll be like heavy loaded end range training with a barbell or whatever. And then we do some kind of relaxed stretching generally. How much somebody responds to relaxed stretching seems to be related to the genetics. Like mm. some people can can do relaxed stretching seven times a week for an hour and like not make any gains. Mm. And you're not crazy if you've tried that and it hasn't worked. Uh, but I think the loaded sessions are very important for those people. And then the on the wall sessions are are also really important because they they give you that skill component and they really help you realize the gains of the other sessions. Mm. So like you might only gain, you know, like a couple degrees or something in like a year or in a season. But if you're climbing on the wall and you're really trying to use your flexibility on the wall, you're gonna notice those couple degrees because they make a big difference. Mm. Right. And after over a couple of years or several years of this, like I've been training my flexibility on the wall for like quite a few years now. And like, I really, really can tell, mm -hmm. like it's very obvious to me. There's just, there's just never really footholds that I can't use. Mm. You know what I mean? Do you have on the wall drills, like go-to drills? Are you trying to like wide stem your way up or high step and perch or? Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't give away the whole store, but yeah, I, I do. <laughs> I do. I do some of those things for sure. And at a variety of angles and then it kind of depends on what the client is working on, what we'll target. Cause I base it off of, there's basically like six movements of the hip and it, it's going to depend person to person, like mm. which things they need the most. And then also on like what style of climbing they want to do. Um, like here in, in Leavenworth or in Squamish in the Northwest, like external rotation and being able to like put your heels up really high and load them really hard is super, super useful. Mm -hmm. Right. So people who climb around here are going to have a certain set of drills. People who climb in, you know, maybe at Smith, they're going to have a different set of drills. Um, you're gonna need like more hip flexion to get their feet really high and be able to like rock into it. Mm. So yeah, it's usually concordant with whatever the person is, is working on. But if you're listening to this and thinking about incorporating it, you don't overthink it. Like just, just don't avoid situations where your hip is closer to its end range. I mean, don't go crazy. Don't go like way out, out of what you can tolerate, but just don't avoid positions, mm. you know, that if you, if you're like, ah, I don't know if I can put my foot up there, like put your foot up there. Mm. I bet you can. Yeah, maybe just start telling yourself that you're a flexible climber and see what happens. It can't hurt. <laughs> I mean, positive attitude pretty much in all things climbing goes like a really, really long way. And that's basically what we're dancing around with the hip flexibility thing is just having a positive attitude about your flexibility. The bigger picture is like having a positive attitude about your climbing. So yeah, it's hard to it's hard to make people do that. I don't make them do that, but we definitely explore like their motivations for climbing and why they feel the way they do and, you know. Mm -hmm what sort of things make them feel more positive about their climbing. And then we try to follow those things. And, you know, if you do that stuff, then you wind up feeling more positive. So yeah, it's a nice virtuous cycle. Nice, man. Was that everything on the hip flexibility that you wanted to touch on? Mm, yeah, I think, yeah, I think we, I think we covered it pretty good. Um, it's, it's extremely complicated and I would just say don't, you know, don't get down on yourself about it, but just recognize that it's something that pretty much everybody can improve at. And you're not, you're not trying to get to the human limit. You're just trying to get to your genetic potential and pretty much everybody has room to grow before they hit their genetic potential. So it's just something we should try to be positive about and work on. 
Mm -hmm. And it's much less fatiguing to work on than finger strength or like power, you know? <laughs> right. Those kind of things. It's something mm -hmm. you can pretty much work on all the time. So nice. That, that probably covers it. And we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Green Chef. Green Chef makes eating delicious, healthy meals so ridiculously easy. I love eating great food. I love convenience. But I have to admit, the first time I heard about Green Chef, I was worried about sustainability. Well, I had nothing to fear because Green Chef is the only meal kit that is both carbon and plastic offset. They offset 100% of their delivery emissions as well as 100% of the plastic in every box. Plus, nearly all packaging materials are curbside recyclable in most areas in the US. And with Green Chef, you're reducing your food waste by up to 23% versus grocery shopping. That's amazing. I was recently in Washington and I brought one of my favorite Green Chef meals over to my sister's house for dinner with some friends and it was a hit. We had a spicy chili ginger chicken kale salad. It was super fun. We got to cook together and it only took 20 minutes. That meant we had more time to sit on the deck and enjoy our food, drink wine, and catch up on the stuff that matters. Right now, my dear listeners, Green Chef is offering you guys 60% off and free shipping. Go to greenchef.com slash 60nugget and use code 60nugget to get 60% off plus free shipping. Once again, that's greenchef.com slash 60nugget and use code 60nugget to get 60% off plus free shipping. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. In addition to the support from our amazing sponsors, this episode is brought to you by many of you who listen to the show. One of the primary means I get support for this podcast is direct support from listeners on Patreon. For just $5 per month, you can get instant access to more than 150 hours of exclusive content and more than 80 patron-only episodes with new episodes coming every month. You can listen to the patron version of the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or watch uncut videos of all of my episodes. And if that's not enough, you'll get your questions featured on the show and you'll get every episode ad-free. So you will never have to skip through ads again. You can learn more at patreon.com slash the nugget climbing. It only takes a few minutes to sign up. You can cancel at any time. No questions asked. And right now you can get a seven day free trial so you can check it out, see what all the fuss is about literally for free. That's patreon.com slash the nugget climbing or scroll down and click on the link right there in your podcast app. I appreciate you guys for listening and thank you so much for your support. And now back to the show. Should we wrap up with visualization? Yes. A deep dive. A deep dive. Uh, wrap up with a deep dive. <laughs> yeah, wrap up with <laughs> a deep dive. That's a very nugget. That's, that's a nugget proposition right there. Yeah. How many times have I like tried to end a podcast and then gone on? You're like, well, there's 30 more minutes of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> He's like saying goodbye right now. Sometimes I'm, aw I'm aware that that happens. I'm like waiting for the fake out where you like start playing the end music, but there's 30 <laughs> minutes of the podcast left, you know? You just hear like the DJ like, like scratch. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I don't, I don't want to be I I don't want to be the kind of coach who, who just tries to get people to do the things, um, that I do, but I do think hip flexibility and visualization are two things that I have studied a lot and gotten very good at. Um, so I have a lot of lessons 
to offer there. And I, I think that they are uh, broadly applicable to other people. So should we, uh, should we, should we dive into visualization? Let's do it. Yeah. The, the core, the core of my philosophy with visualization is we all have very limited resources, right? Like we're, we have limited time, limited energy, limited skin, you know, all these things are, are basically, we're competing against the clock kind of on all these resources to try to do the things that we want to do. And my kind of guiding principle with visualization is, um, the more you can get done without having to expend any of those resources or having to expend fewer of those resources, the more effective of a climber you're going to be. So visualization has been studied in a lot of different contexts. Um, I think it, it basically has three main benefits. Um, the first one and, and the one that I think is the most relevant to the sort of resource consumption philosophy is it, it helps you make fewer errors. So, it's not just that you can visualize being effective or like visualize winning or something like that. Like if you read the inner game of tennis, there's some visualization stuff in there a little bit. You know, if you read like a classical sports psychology book, they'll probably touch on visualization. But if you're visualizing a tennis game, you you can't actually visualize like what your opponent is gonna do, mm -hmm. you know, other than in like a theoretical context. But with climbing, it's more like dance. Like we know the sequence right? And we can really hone that sequence and practice it without having to use any skin, without having to use any energy. And once you get good at this process, not only are you kind of refining your sequence and getting better at it, you can also like do error correction. You can find where your gaps are. You can learn something about the way that you're going to feel, which can be very important. Like if you run through your sequence and, and you like slow down a lot at a certain point, you're like, okay, hand, hand, I move my foot there. I move my hand here. Oh, and then I put my heel up right? And then I move my hand there. And then you start climbing after doing that. I'll bet you a hundred dollars when you get to that same spot, you're going to hesitate just mm -hmm. the way that you did in your visualization. So that's an opportunity in your visualization to clean that hesitation up and make sure that you can do it right in your head. And doing it right is not just doing it in the right order. It's actually like climbing it well in your head. Mm -hmm. And then you'll be able to do that on the wall. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, I'm not crazy. This is a real, yeah, <laughs> this yeah, is yeah. a very yeah. real yeah. thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a fascinating topic. I remember, I can't remember the name of the book, but I remember reading a book about um, like a record setting uh, weightlifter. He, he was famous for the squat. I, I can't remember how much he lifted. It was something absurd, like five times or six times body weight or something, something outrageous. God. Um, but he credited so much of his progress to the amount of time he spent just visualizing mm -hmm. squatting, just squatting. Mm -hmm. And you know, there was a lot of research in there about how your muscles and like neurons are actually firing at some percentage of their normal weightlifting firing when you're so imagining. Num it's, number it's two, number two main benefit, higher force output. Mm. And that's like highly, highly studied. So they, this is like one of my favorite scientific studies that I've ever read, which is they had, I think it was hand, a hand grip dynamometer test, I'm pretty sure. And they had three groups. They had a group that did a grip strength workout regularly. And then they had a group that visualized doing a grip strength workout regularly. And then I had a group that did the physical workout and a visualization. And the group that did both had by far the best gains. The group that did the physical workout had pretty reasonable gains as you'd expect. The group that just visualized made gains. Wow. They, they improved their, like their grip strength, like just from visualizing, squeezing something like whatever, a few times a week or something like that. And they've also done studies now on, um, they do tons of scientific studies on ACL repair. Cause it's like super 
common injury. Um, and they now use, use a visualization with athletes as like the first step of rehab. If you have hmm. an ACL tear, like with a, with a professional athlete, they'll have them doing like visualization with their leg, like with training their leg, like when, when it's still immobilized and mm. they like just came out of surgery or whatever, because mm -hmm. it, it actually does help it heal. And they've done studies on that, which is fucking mind blowing. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> like it's talk about mind crazy. over matter. Yeah, that's insane. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe, so, that's, maybe that's why I hit a finger strength PR in Rocklands. I was just like laying in bed sick and just like imagining, I was just thinking of all the moves on Black Shadow and just... <laughs> <laughs> training my fingers and laying in bed I actually rested but you hit your finger strength pr while you were sick uh like shortly i think like after after being sick yeah it's really weird yeah maybe you were just kind of like deloaded you were just not i think not i think so yeah i think i like just kind of experimented used the tin deck like really low dose but kept the kind of max strength stuff going in magic wood and then kind of like ramped it up as I was trying Black Shadow and the start of the Rockland Strip and then deloaded. So yeah, I kind of like accidentally worked toward this little funny, weird peak one day. Super random. Yeah. yeah. I was like, whoa, that, I just... You'll spend like two years training by and you'll not, be able, you'll not be able to get back there totally. with like actual training. <laughs> yeah. It was it was very significant. I hit, I hit like 173, I think, on my yeah. right hand, which is almost body weight for me. And I'd like... 163 was the most you should that. just do it do a block of training where you just visualize <laughs> that day and like see if you can see if you can improve on your pr so the we're um, gonna take hangboarding to the next we, you, don't, you don't even need a hangboard anymore <laughs> you just lay in bed you just need a mind board <laughs> um so the the third main benefit is um emotional regulation and that's also been pretty highly studied there's like quite a bit of of science on like having people do visualization of of like being in different uh states of mind, you know, to, to deal with anxiety and depression and stuff like that. Um, almost like, wow, kind of a corollary to like CBT or something like that, where you're like, if you're like stressed out, you like visualize yourself at a time that you were really happy or visualize yourself mm. like being really happy five minutes from now or whatever. And that's pretty effective. What is CBT? Cognitive behavioral therapy. Got it, got it, got it. Right, right, right. Are you, are you imagining yourself in the state of mind that you want to be in? Um, I think that's the idea. So for, for me... In, in a climbing context, what I'm usually doing is number one, I'm on the lookout for things that might pop up in my visualization that could be like useful for trying to send a boulder. So I was going to say this earlier, like it can be really useful to notice hesitations or notice like a gap in your sequence, you know, like you can visualize up to here, but then you're like, shit, what do I do there? You know? And if you don't know that, know that in your visualization, you probably are not going to know it on the wall. Um, but also if you run through your sequence and you get to a certain point and like you notice that you're feeling anxious or that you're kind of like, and then I'm going to be scared, you know, and then I grab the next handhold and you're like, wait, shit, did I just say I was going to be scared when I got up there? Like, yeah, you're probably going to be scared if you're visualizing that you're going to be scared, right? Mm. So for me, I, I don't necessarily try to like, you know, force myself to do something else. Um, so like when, if I'm, if I'm going to try to do like a really, you know, risky um, highball, for instance, like I won't, I won't try to visualize in a way where I'm like, I'm not scared of this, like, cause I'm probably going to be gripped. Like it's, you know, that's a, a reasonable um, expectation. But what I want is to be able to visualize very smoothly and, and effectively and like keep my heart rate low and stay calm through that sensation of like, it's going to be scary while I'm up there. Mm -hmm. And if I can do that, then I can usually get up to where I'm going to be climbing and I'll be like, yeah, I'm scared, but like I've done this before, you know, I know it's going to be okay. Um, and I, that's been very helpful, especially for managing fear. Um, cause if you, you know, if you are going to try a sport route and you like just took a bad fall or 
it's your first time leading or something like that and you like look up at the wall and you like imagine yourself up there and you imagine being really scared you're kind of like coding your brain to have that experience later on mm -hmm. and if you look at if you instead look up at it and you're like whoa that looks pretty intense but i think i'll get up there and i'll be able to like handle it you know and you like sort of calm yourself down and visualize like it's gonna be scary but it's gonna be okay like i'm gonna get through it kind of like calm focus yeah mm -hmm. for sure uh, i think that's a very powerful thing to to include in your climbing mm -hmm. and you know kind of to jump back to cbt the first the first step of cbt is just becoming aware of patterns in your thoughts i'm not a therapist or anything right um but that's kind of the first step is to just develop an awareness and i think that really is what a lot of this visualization stuff is like it's just using your time off the wall very very well so that you don't have to use as much time on the wall to learn these things like if you're going to have a gap in your sequence or you're going to hesitate somewhere or you need to like clean up a foot section you want to learn that stuff without expending any energy to find that out right that is the core of your visualization practice is basically like trying to take as many lessons from it as you can so you can conserve all those really precious resources mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i'm curious about the nuts and bolts are you like do you visualize in first person third person do you have them do it your, your clients do you have them do it in the middle of their training session while they're resting between things is it also in the evening in bed or you know like a meditative thing um mm -hmm. yeah all i think all of those things mm -hmm. and i think if hip flexibility has like a very high degree of return to fatigue like you can do very little of it and get a pretty good return and it doesn't make you very tired then visualization has like an infinite amount of that right mm. it's not like you're going to be at the crag and you're going to like visualize too much and get tired you know what i mean so so there's really no reason to not experiment with it um i think i've developed a habit that works very well for me that's probably different than what other people would do um and there's also people who like can't visualize themselves doing something or can't visualize the holds or whatever mm -hmm. so so those people can also practice and like learn something that works for them like i worked with a guy who had um is it aphantasia or af aphasia i forget which one it is where, where you don't you, have a visual where you can't yeah yeah but he could see uh letters and words mm. so we got him doing a practice where he would visualize uh like the sequence like written out mm. and that worked really well for him so he would like write the sequences wow. down and then he would like visualize the words of like, he would like wow. name name the holds, you know, or like he'd be like shitty Gaston or whatever. And he would like visualize like shitty Gaston, <laughs> the word. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool, right? Yeah. Yeah. I had a, one of my roommates was like that. My my roommate in Bend, really good climber. And we always joke because he was a software guy. We always joke that he just like remembered all his beta and binary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it was like, it was fascinating. Zeros. Basically what we're talking about is some people, um, don't have like mental imagery they mm -hmm. can't like close their eyes and picture someone's face or like picture a climbing hold or picture themselves like doing a movement or something yeah it's fascinating for for me what really works for me is i'm an extremely tactile climber i think that's why i do well in places that are granite i do really well in squamish i'm like very good at grabbing the holds right and understanding what position my body needs to be in and stuff so my visualization is quite catered to that mm. and it's very internal and very like what do things feel like mm. and a lot less like i can't see my body from the third person or anything like that um and i don't try to do it that way necessarily although mm. i've done like some highballs and stuff where i've like had that kind of sensory awareness because i felt like i wanted to know um like what it would be like if i fell and so i was like trying to visualize like what the moves were like so i had a sense of like where my body was going um but I don't think that was like necessary, necessarily. It was just like an exploration. Mm. Um, I think it seems like most clients that I work with prefer 
third-person visualization, but I usually encourage people to explore both. Mm. And there are, there are studies that say different types are better than others for things like force production and stuff, but I, I don't think that there's any high-quality science that's been done on climbing specifically. Hi, Hi Ty. Hi, you're back. Hi, Ty. Don't <laughs> he just comes back every 15 face. minutes to lick us. Oh, he's got great camera awareness. Good Hi, job, buddy. Ty. Yeah, he's a delicate boy. I was kind of afraid of these tripods being here with the no, dogs running around. it's the brown dog that would knock the tripods over. <laughs> He just gave me a side eye from over there. Sorry, buddy. I love you. That's Moose, the brown dog. I don't want to. I don't want him to go without a name drop. <laughs> That'd be mean. Um, so, other nuts and bolts stuff would be if you're if you're red pointing, if it's a project, then don't get on the wall without a plan. That's like a pretty standard recommendation for learning how to climb harder. Is like you should always have some reason that you're getting on the wall and not just like. I'm gonna try it again mm -hmm. um, to like try to stay very focused and very problem solving oriented. And your visualization informs that. So if you're gonna get on the wall and try one move, you're gonna visualize that move. If you're gonna get on the wall and try to figure out where the best spot is for your foot, you're gonna pick a spot, you're gonna visualize using that foot, and you're gonna get on the wall and try it. And you just that just becomes part of your process. Mm. And like nowadays I, I don't I don't do any I don't even like warm up on the board without like looking at it and picking my path of holds and like roughly visualizing what it's going to feel like hmm. unless I feel like having that on kind of on-site experience which I don't like deliberately avoid that I just really enjoy the feeling of climbing in my brain <laughs> <laughs> it makes me it makes me climb better yeah yeah I remember good. um you know I, I talked to Alan Watts years ago one of my earliest episodes and still one of my favorites and it was a good episode I, I loved his story about um I can't remember what project it, it, he, he was trying, but he was trying some hard project at Smith and he was visualizing it and he'd be visualizing the crux and he'd fall off and he'd be like, damn. Because <laughs> he just like hadn't got his head around, yeah. you know, believing that he could do it yet. Yeah. I just thought that was so interesting. I feel like that's like step, a, a very early step in the projecting process for me is when I can visualize the whole thing front to back. It's kind of like, it's very similar to, you know, like when you've quote done all the moves. But for me, it's like when I when I really have the visualization in my mind, even if the beta is not like 100% yet, you know, there's a little micro beta you're going to suss out and stuff. But if I can like sit down at the bottom and climb to the top in my brain, I'm like, okay, yeah, now it's on. We're like trying this. Mm. That's like when I was saying earlier that I found projects where I was like actually really excited about trying them. That's basically the point that I got to mm. with like, you know, at least one thing here in Leavenworth where I was like earlier this season or in February, I tried it and I, I think my second day on it, I, I like was kind of just trying to see where my sequence was at and I like visualized it and I was like, holy shit, like I can see this in my mind. I can like see myself doing this. Mm. Which I've never thought about doing that on a V13. I've never even been close to that stage on a V13. So I was like, cool. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess I'm trying this now. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Is it, for you, is it like when you sit at the bottom of the boulder and you visualize going all the way to the top, is it like right hand on this hold, it feels this way? left foot on that foothold, it feels like this. My body feels like this. My hips feel like this. My left hand grabs this. It's just not, the, not the, the yeah, description. There's no, there's no verbal part. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's just the sensations. Yeah. And then sometimes I do include like, you know, I don't squirm around on the ground necessarily like Adamandra, but I do, <laughs> but I do sometimes my, my arms and like legs and stuff kind of move involuntarily sometimes, you know, especially mm -hmm. for like certain moves that I know are really powerful or mm -hmm. like big jumps or stuff. I'll, I'll have to like move my my arm because it just feels it's just connected it's just deeply connected i can't not move when i visualize that you know mm -hmm. what i mean mm -hmm. yeah 
it's it's like it's hardwired <laughs> super interesting it's fascinating man um, yeah it's it's something i feel like um i feel like i've visualized i think i started a visualization practice just from a place of like pure desire to send mm-hmm. when i was younger you know like i remember some of my early projects in leavenworth that like trying the sale back in the day and you know, it was my first v9 and i just remember being like driving out there just like so amped to go try it and just the the thought of like can i possibly climb v9 like mm-hmm. you know it was just so exciting to me and then I would just lay in bed and just like imagine the moves all the time and just um, visualize incessantly. And I don't know if I have a formal practice, but um, but I think, yeah, I just, I kind of wonder if it's something that I have a lot more room for growth in. I don't really know. I think I've always done it and I probably am like decent at it, but um, I've, I, I haven't worked on it intentionally for very long ever. It's just always kind of like I do it the way that I've, that I do it. So. If I, was gonna, if I was going to put my coach hat on and give you a suggestion, it would probably be that you should use your visualization to climb faster. Mm. As I've been cl- telling you to climb faster for like <laughs> eight years or whatever. Yeah. And I mean, it's not like, it's not a, it's not a downside necessarily, but um, you know, with a, with a long, with a long boulder problem, like, like black shadow, for instance, and I, I don't want to like pick apart. I know that the wound is still fresh, so I don't want to like pour salt in it, but there's a good chance with boulders with projects like that that the the difference maker could be like two to five seconds of time under tension. Yeah, yeah. I think I think pacing is a really fascinating thing. I hear you. I'm not I, telling I'm not telling you you have to climb faster. I just think yeah. visualization would be a good way to do that. Yeah. No. To. Totally. No. I mean, it, it is like it's it's how I like I've like definitely expedited the process of removing hesitation from climbs for sure um, with yeah. with visualization on boulders and on sport climbs for sure. I think it's especially helpful on sport climbs because every attempt is such an investment. Yeah. You know, you get three good attempts in a day if you're lucky. I don't I don't think you hesitate by the way. I think there's a, definitely a difference. Well, that's the thing. So then it comes down to like pacing. And yeah. I don't know I just have been a lot more interested in this because for a long time I looked at Adam Andra and I was like, he's the best climber in the world. He climbs a lot faster than everyone else. That's something to aspire to. The causality there is is questionable though. Exactly. Like I, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, well, but then you have, everyone's just so different. Like yeah. should Kai Leitner climb faster? I don't know. I think his pace works for him. I think Jonathan's Seagrass pace works for him. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like I always climb as fast as I can, which which probably sounds ridiculous, but like a lot of the time I have to move incredibly slow to like maintain yeah. the body position that allows me to hold on to the hold. You know, for instance, like if I'm a little bit faster and sloppier, I'm out of there. Maybe maybe visualization is the bulwark that allows you to go faster without being sloppy. Because yeah, I don't necessarily think of fast, fast and sloppy, sloppy right, as right, being right. automatic. Yeah. I think that it's a very common thing that happens but it doesn't always happen Mm -hmm. sometimes i climb slow and i still climb really sloppily (laughs) (laughs) i I really do think visualization is like a bulwark against stupid mistakes and like a bulwark against emotional issues Mm -hmm. that might arise while you're climbing um and certainly a bulwark against like hesitation and sequencing failures and stuff like it's just an easy way to avoid those those dumb mistakes that happen while you climb Mm -hmm. 
What was the most recent? I shared some video or something where I remember you commenting on me climbing slow, and I I want to remember what it was. Do you oh it, oh yeah yeah it was uh was it you were Waco? trying the dino you were trying the dino in Rockland <laughs> you were like setting up for a dino and I was like is this slow mo is this the go does he send it because it's like it looks like slow motion and then I watched it again and I was like it's not slow motion it's just the slowest <laughs> dino I've ever seen. <laughs> Get this man a Red Bull. That's what <laughs> that's what you said. Yeah, I mean, I'm springy and powerful though. But I get what you like. I watch my. You are very powerful. Yeah, but like definitely. the the like just the setup. Yeah, the setup. yeah, like the deliberation and kind of like the slothiness of the setup. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's I funny. think I, I think uh, just to be clear, especially for the listener, like I am not in the business of telling people how to climb. I'm in, I'm in the business of like trying to get people to explore their climbing. Mm -hmm. So for you, if you thought that being able to climb faster without necessarily getting sloppy is something that would enable you to, to be a more effective climber, then I think visualization would be a really interesting lens to explore that. But I think it's probably the first step to exploring like almost anything you might change about your climbing style. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and if you're like a really uh, keen onsite climber, then this conversation probably applies like a little bit less to you than it does to turbo projectors, but well, maybe. you can definitely visualize an onsite as well. Yeah, I mean, a specific sequence because all the emotional pieces still apply. Yeah, I mean, Adam Andres living proof. Like yeah. when he's when he's done some of his hardest onsites, my brain tells me he's red pointing. There's no way he's not red pointing. Yeah, this is, I just don't understand how he could move. The line with, gets the line gets really fuzzy with a lot of pro climbers though, where like they do clearly like inspect the rock very closely and come up with a sequence before they go for an onsite attempt and like. I guess this is, you know, because I'm a boulderer, because I'm like sterner with myself. But I feel like if I have that degree of beta, I would almost like make the argument that it's more of a flash. But I'm well, not gonna, I'm not going to argue with Adam Andra, obviously. Like, if he yeah, says I mean, he something, he, then he I don't know. I don't know. He didn't like, like, you know, it, it's Adam Andra. He's on a different level. Like his yeah. business manager or whoever, like, wrapped down just do it and brushed all the holds and like put fresh tick marks on things. You know? Yeah. So, ooh, invalid. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's like. Are you are you like tick marking them in a way where he knows that it's a right hand and not a left? Like I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, but you know, you could also argue like it's the same as if someone had just tried the route. Um, but right. he's not like he didn't wrap down the route, you know. Right. He's looking at it from the ground. But then I watched him climb it and I'm like, I cannot believe that he's on siding. Yeah. He looks like he has climbed this. He knows exactly what he's doing. 30 times. Yeah. Like yeah. he's tried this for weeks. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm sure that he did do some visualization before he pulled onto the wall. It was probably just more like, I'm going to be up there and I'm going to be soaring and I'm going to fucking crush it <laughs> right in front of all these Americans. <laughs> in the freezing cold. In the fr Yeah, in the freezing cold. <clears throat> Incredibly impressive ascent and just one of... Still the coolest thing I've ever seen in real life. <laughs> Ooh, take that, Rocklands people. I mean, <laughs> on sighting, just do it. I'm sorry. Yeah, Climbing V13 is really cool. I don't that's think sick. I saw anyone. Did I see anyone climb harder than V13 on this trip? There's probably way more uh, V13 sends than 14C on sites. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. At yeah. this point. At this I think point only climbing. like a handful of people have on site at 14C. Yeah, not very like many. Like less than five, I think. Wow, is it that low still? It's, it's not very many. Yeah, damn. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Maybe it's... Maybe it's more, but it's not a ton more. Anyway, thanks, man. Yeah. Should we, should we call it there for this round? And we can, it's always a pleasure to have you on. We can do this again. Yeah, sure. Yeah. All right. Are we going to do sure. another uh, fundamental series this year? I sure would like to, but we bought a house. So I don't know if, um, I don't know if we can make it to Waco. Okay. 
big TBD. Yeah. But I sure would like to. So nice. We'll see. I also have potential life changes <laughs> that I'm not ready to share with yeah. everybody yet. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so I think I'm going to Waco, but um, up in the air for me too. So, but yeah, regardless, thank you for being so prepared as always and for your thoughtfulness and great insights. And yeah, it's great to catch up, man. Yeah, anytime. This was fun. Yeah. Until next time. All right. Bye, everybody. See ya. Hey friends, before you go, quick shout out to all of our sponsors for this episode. As always, you can find links to all of our sponsors and you can see the coupon codes for their products in the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com or just by scrolling down right there in your podcast app. I make it really easy for you guys to get great deals on some of my favorite products. So check them out. Scroll down right there in your podcast app or check out the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com. And as always, I put tons of goodies in the show notes. So for this episode, you can find links to all the things, videos and books we talked about, related podcast episodes, my guests' links, etc. You can find all of that stuff conveniently linked for you at thenuggetclimbing.com. Just find this episode and all of the show notes will be there, including timestamps so you can scroll around and find some of the best nuggets from this interview if you want to listen to those sections again. And as always, thank you guys so much for listening. If you want even more great content, if you've been loving the show, I do have a Patreon. I have tons of bonus episodes over there, almost 50 bonus episodes. They're called follow-ups that I've published so far with past guests from the show. Those bonus episodes are some of my favorite interviews that I've done on the podcast. You can get access to all of those and ad-free episodes and more for $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash the nugget climbing to learn more. There's a link for Patreon right there in your podcast app as well. Thank you guys for listening. I appreciate all of the support. Happy climbing. I hope you have an amazing week and we will see you next time.